That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that, like a surgeon, digs deep into the cultural zeitgeist to examine topics and extract the memories from the most radical decade in history. I'm Chris. And I'm Ben. And this is 80s High. Welcome, everyone, to the final episode of season two. The big finale. We made it. This is it. This is it. Can-can dancers are coming in. Confetti and balloons oh, are raining down. Uh, yes. This is the closer. We made it. It's kind of hard to believe we got this far. This is our 40th episode, as a matter of fact. How about 40th that? 40th episode? Who would have yeah. thought? That's exciting. That's cool. Look at yeah. us. We made it. We've been renewed for a third season. Spoilers. So <laughs> It was a really hard sell in production, but when they saw the puppet, they yeah. were sold once they saw the puppet out of the garbage bag. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's it's great to have everyone here. Ben, it's great to see you again to wrap up our season talking about Mr. Weird Al Yankovic. But before that, Homeroom, of course, is a place where we do a little bit of like, what's the 80s haps going on? Ben, I understand you had a couple things you wanted to talk about. Absolutely. I, you know, a quick thing, of course, one of the biggest properties of the late 70s, 80s, you've got Star Wars and uh, Kenobi just came out this weekend that we're recording. Yeah. Have you, you know, watched I mean, it? I, you know, I I have. Okay. Have. And Full spoilers, I will say, right? You're going to give away everything. Yeah, here's how the whole series goes down. <laughs> no, every time there's one of these spinoffs from, you know, the original trilogy is sacred ground. And anything, mm. there's something that's not the original trilogy. You're like, oh, come on. Are we just milking milking this poor, sad cow that needs to go to pasture? Like, leave it alone. Right, right. Uh, and I will say, as the kids say, Kenobi slaps. It's awesome. It's really, really, really good. It seems like the television shows keep getting better. Yeah. And the other thing that just happened last week in the world Mm. of 80s, which is a good transition of what I want to ask you, because we are in a homeroom. It's getting warmer outside. Oh, yeah. But Top Gun 2 just came out. Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. And I've heard, (laughs) thank goodness, they fixed it. And it's 90 minutes of topless volleyball. Yes, that's what everybody down. wants. And there's only yes. like three minutes of fighter jets. So they've yeah. really rebalanced it. Mostly which is oiled beefcakes just hitting the ball back and forth. <laughs> just hitting it back and forth. Uh, but I haven't gotten to see it yet. Um, but all early reviews are it's fantastic. I saw one article that said, is this the harbinger of the return to the summer blockbuster? Uh, wow. which, is, which, is a, which is a heavy uh, crown to bear. Okay. But I know how I'm going to be spending my summer... Uh, which is a mixture of camping and going to the drive-in movie theater up the road. I'm going to see this at the drive-in for sure. Excellent. That was my not-so-smooth transition. Summer break is coming up. 80s High is going to go on summer break. What are you looking forward to this summer? Are you bike riding? Are you going to build forts? Are you going on a road trip? Yeah, all the all the 80s stuff we've talked about, I'm just going to just live that out over the summer. You know, summer is always a time for lots of adventure. I've got some people visiting. I have some camping trips that I'll be joining yeah. uh, y'all on. And so other than that, I think it's just more up to what sort of happens. I don't have tons of things planned I do have hikes I would like to do. I've got a, a list of things I've been 
oh, I see this come up on Instagram or uh, a friend yeah. mentions it. Keep my little list. I would like to knock out some of those because uh, I haven't been hiking recently. It's been kind of icky. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. You sort of have your uh, summer hiking list rather than your reading list for Scholastic. That you is your, right. Your summer trail list. It's going to be good. Some people do summer beach reads. I do summer schleps up mountains. So schleps up mountains. It's, it's good. a good excuse to come down the mountain and then gorge on just uh, happy meals, fatty, heavy foods, and Kids milkshakes meals, and all that kind of meals, ridiculousness. Plastic yeah. toys. It's beautiful. That's all I have for homeroom this week. I just have one quick thing, which is a follow-up to our last episode when we were talking about fast food toys, and you mentioned Cadillac Cats. Oh, yeah, right. And I had joked that it was a knockoff of Heathcliff, which was a knockoff of Garfield. Which is just a knockoff of Stray Cats everywhere. Exactly. Well, so as I'm doing some editing on last uh, episode, I came across that Cadillac Cats was actually a part of Heathcliff. So what? it's in the same universe. I guess it's the a shared universe. So I guess the cartoon, like the first half was Heathcliff and the second half was on these Cadillac cats and Riff Raff was the main cat. This is a very debonair cat for uh, Riff Raff. What ultimately is a junkyard gang. He's got like a little poofy. It's almost like a Scottish golfing cap. It looks very aristocratic for a junkyard cat. And he's also wearing an ascot. I don't Ooh. think it's a cravat. There's a lot of gentlemen's wear I don't understand the nuance of. <laughs> uh, much like we'll talk about in this episode, the difference between a spoof, a parody, parody. Yes, and good. a satire. Like yeah, there's, good. We do oh, need to lay that out. all sorts of words in the mix. But anyway, I just wanted to say Cadillac Cats were secondary characters in Heathcliff, not a knockoff, just the expanded wow. universe. Much like Marvel has an extended universe, this is the Heathcliff Seriously? extended universe. Who knew Heathcliff? Well, thanks for diving into that little rabbit hole. Who knew? Impressive. So yeah, that's what I have for homeroom. Well, uh, having done my research for this episode, I know that this episode is going to make me very hungry because we're going to talk a lot about food. There's a lot of food. And I need to know what we're actually going to eat. I don't know if it's going to be a joke or not, but I need to know what's really for lunch today so I can be well prepared for today's topic. All right, let's listen in. Attention 80s high. I'm Margie, here to share today's homeroom announcement. If you want to learn how to be in a time capsule, then consider joining the class of 80s High. You can suggest show topics, send any corrections, or even share any memories and opinions on the 80s, which we'll even read on the show. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. You can also follow 80s High Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Today's lunch menu will be mystery meat with a side of fries. I've been told that you have to just eat it, just eat it. It doesn't matter what you have for lunch. Just eat it. Just eat it. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, after school today, the Summer Jello Wrestling Club will be meeting to discuss tournament schedule. If you haven't already, there are some extra spots to sign up for some rollicking fun in the sun. For you extra keeners out there, you can find a summer reading list right outside the librarian's office. The first book on there is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's an out-of-this-world experience. Before you leave for the day, please make sure you sign my yearbook. And don't forget to congratulate the Fighting Mogwais for all their wins this year. Thank you, and have a super-duper, totally rad, summerlicious break. Go Mogwais! Okay, I think I'm just as confused as you are, Ben. Was that really what our menu is, or is it a parody of the menu? What are we eating at lunch? So I'm supposed to just get an egg and beat it? Like, that's... Uh, just find an egg and go beat it myself? Okay. Yeah. 
I guess omelets, maybe? Have a banana, have a whole bunch. It does not matter <laughs> what you had for lunch. Just eat it. Well, okay, kids. I need all of you to grab your babe magnet accordions because we are going to polka our way down the hall to history class to learn more about this unknown novelty musician named Al Yankovic. What do you say, Ben? I'm going to hitch a ride with the Kenosha Kickers. Oh, <laughs> Very big in Sheboygan. <laughs> Very big in Sheboygan. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay, we're here in history slash music appreciation. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, I would go with music appreciation for history class because you got it. To appreciate something, you must also love its origin. You must love where it came from. A great, great way to put it, Ben. So speaking of that origin, can you tell our listeners who is Weird Al Yankovic? I will do my best because listeners, holy for holy, Chris and I, much like Eat It, are mm. intimidated and I love Rocky Road, are intimidated mm. by how much we have bitten off for this episode because I don't think in our 39 episodes, we have hit on somebody with such a prolific body of work who mm. is still so active and at the cutting edge of culture that we were like, how are we going to get this into a podcast episode? That's why you're going to join us on BBC's Weird Al Yankovic nine-part series next year uh, <laughs> that Chris and I are recording to cover everything. No, let's get into it. I'm so sorry. Weird Al Yankovic is potentially the most famous, well-known parody artist mm. of music in history. He has created a lot of music that is original of his own, but his trademark long curly black locks, big thick glasses, and his accordion fills every bit of music you can think of. And he loves parroting the most popular songs at any given time, uh, mm. but not not mocking the artist, but more uh, making satirical comments on pop culture, most notably food, television, and movies. Absolutely. The way he put it in an interview is I like to poke people in the ribs, not kick them in the butt. Ooh, that's good. That's very that was a nice way that's to put it. Point. I was like, I love that. Let's just open up actually, first and foremost, with a question we asked the class of 80s high. What is Al short for? What's Al's real name? Is it just Al? Did he, is this much like You Can Call Me Al when we talked about the Graceland <laughs> you album? Call me Al. God, that was a fun one. Wasn't it that Paul Simon, someone called him Al and that's why he wrote that song, isn't that? Like someone yes. mistakenly called him that at a party, <laughs> I, think, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. That's right, that's right. We should have given that as an option on this survey. Oh, we should have. But this, these are the options we did give. We said, is it Alfred? Is it Alan? Is it Alfonso? Is it Alf or is it Alejandro? And, you know, we couldn't pull a fast one on our classmates. Pretty much everyone said Alfred correctly. Right. So it's Alfred Matthew Yankovic is his full name. But, you know, in every school, there's the class jokester. Someone oh, who's got to oh, be a little God. counterculture, a little bit of a wise guy, a little bit of a smarty mm. smart. What's the one answer someone had the audacity to choose? Somebody did go Alf, which I'm Alf. really happy with. <laughs> listen to the, you know, two episodes ago, which is great. Yeah, uh, I thought that was great. We're going to have yep. another Alf connection later in this episode, by the way. Ooh, Put teaser. a pin in that, kid. Foreshadowing. Uh, Indeed. Now, Chris, I, I need you to help us go back and figure out where this all started. Now, it wasn't Immaculate Conception, right? Where did we get Weird Al from? So Alfred Matthew Yankovic was born in California in 1959. He's the only child of his parents, Mary and Nick. And he was raised in Linwood, California. I was just also really impressed by his parents, who sounded like amazing people. 
Notably right here, his uh, dad is of Serbian descent and earned two purple hearts in World War II as a medic. Mm. So coming from that intense, serious life uh, to what Weird Al would blossom to become, I think it's such a cool dynamic. Yeah, and Al said that his father was just a very gregarious, kind of outgoing person. And his mother was more reserved. And he's like, that's probably where I get my dual, the duality of my personality from these two. And his mother, we'll find out, is very protective of Al and wanting to shield Uh. him from a lot of stuff and culture that she finds a little unsavory, shall we say. (laughs) I wouldn't call her Puritan. She didn't seem mean about it. She just seemed like a very sweet lady who didn't want Al to get up into a lot of shenanigans let's say she called someone complaining about the where's waldo book didn't she about the, <laughs> That's right. the bikini she was not a fan of that bikini not a fan and his father had this great philosophy which was the key to success is doing for a living whatever makes you happy and often reminding his son of that philosophy which clearly i think we're going to see al takes to heart which i think is awesome now around the age of six his parents signed him up for an accordion lesson because a door-to-door salesman came by and offered his parents a choice of an accordion lesson or a guitar lesson. And his mom was like, we should just have him do the accordion lessons. And what's so crazy is that there is a accordion playing polka star named Frankie Yankovic to whom they have no relation, which is right. wild. Right. And she said, you know, they chose the accordion because I think there should be at least one more accordion playing Yankovic in the world. That's why. Imagine if the guy came with a guitar and a tuba. Like, yeah. what a different future we would have had with Weird Al. I think it would have been the tuba, but still. <laughs> Not quite the same kind of music. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Al said at the age of eight, he was listening to songs on the radio and making up alternative lyrics to them for his own entertainment. And he'd kind of share them with his friends. So you really early on see that seed of him wanting to play with pop culture and modern music and turn it on its head a little bit. He really got a lot of his musical influence growing up and listening to the Dr. Demento radio show which was this show that featured a lot of novelty, offbeat music, and comedy. And this is what he said is a huge source of influence. He also credits a few other things, Mad Magazine, Monty Python, Shel Silverstein, and George Carlin. And I think you can see some of those threads in his work. All of that. He also noted that uh, he really loved Elton John and uh, said that the album Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was partially how he even learned to play rock and roll on the accordion, which I love, like, picture oh. right on his room with, like, a vinyl of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and then he's got his accordion, and he, like, pauses it, tries to, dink, you know, tinker around on the accordion. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We don't want to talk too much about his school, just know this. He started school a year early and ended up skipping a grade. So he's basically two years younger than all of his classmates for the majority of his schooling. And he's kind of seen as this nerdy kid. So he gets this label pretty early on of being odd or weird. Nevertheless, this dude graduates valedictorian despite being two years younger than everyone else in his class. So he's definitely smart. And he basically says a guidance counselor kind of, I won't say coerces, but heavily influences him to pursue in college architecture. Yeah, architecture! Which is so funny. Ben, have you ever been recommended from a guidance counselor or an academic advisor or anybody a field that now in retrospect you scratch your head and say, why on earth? (laughs) Probably what I got into. Uh, (laughs) No, but this feels so 
off. But to your point, being a valedictorian, he's a genius. He's a mm-hmm. super smart guy. He could do anything he wants. And it's just, I love the, the dynamics of he's rocking out with his accordion on the side and they say, eh, you should study architecture. Study architecture. I was told by my high school guidance counselor that I should go into accounting. And I have no earthly <laughs> understanding as to why. <laughs> I was never that great at math. I never enjoyed math. I don't understand that at all. Craig Berry, I know you're listening to the show. Uh, I don't <laughs> fault you for giving me that advice. But just now I didn't pursue it and I'm happy. And you know what? We've all moved on. Look, Thank there's you, still sir. time. There's, you might in a later quarter of your life, you might discover <laughs> I want to be a CPA. And you're going to get into it. It's going to be great. You just never know. So that's kind of education stuff. I do want to back up for a second because at age 16, he actually makes a parody song that he gets into the hands of Dr. Demento. Again, this radio (laughs) show host that has given him a lot of inspiration. Yeah. And by the way, his mom had banned him from listening to the show. So he's kind of listening to it on the sly, being all sneaky sneak so that he can hear this show because he loves it so much. It's adorable. And what happens is Demento is talking at his high school and Al gives him a mixtape. He's got some original songs. He's got some parodies. We're going to see this continues throughout his entire career with this mix of types of songs. And Demento heard this song on there called Belvedere Cruisin', which is about the family car they had, the Belvedere. And he's like, you know, it wasn't the best song, but it had some clever lines. I thought it was kind of charming. So I put it on the air. So at age 16, he's already got his first song on, I believe, national radio. I think that was syndicated nationally. You're right. And I love this. This is a throwback to our mixtape episode, which talked about the origin of mixtapes. We're about mm-hmm. the artists recording their music at home, oftentimes sampling other people's music, too. And just handing those out, trying to get on the radio. And here's Weird Al doing it at the age of 16 in high school. It was awesome. I love it. So that's high school. As we mentioned, he goes to college or he's pursuing this architecture degree. (laughs) And he meets up with this friend and they start playing at this campus coffee house. And they said that the audience went nuts and they got a standing ovation for the show that they did. So again, he's getting a little bit more success. Also around this time, he becomes a disc jockey at the university's radio station. And he said he kind of styled himself as a local Dr. Demento because where he was, they weren't really airing Dr. Demento. So he was kind of the local version of that. Oh, nice. And it's around this time that in his dorm, some of the people were calling him Weird Al in a very derogatory fashion. This is not a term of endearment. Kids, being a nerd was not cool back then. It was not quite cool. the opposite. That's not till like the early 2000s where nerdiness and geekiness really kind of take off. It is not a badge of honor back then. No, I mean, this is where you get the movie like Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Just Nerds. Beating up on nerds. But Alfred was sort of like different growing up. Again, he's genius. He's If you have these friends who were Mensa, super brilliant people, but also a colorful personality that was out there and excited with a lot of different interests, yeah. um, that sort of energy and that sort of intelligence can be hard to find peers and group together, which I think this is where this is coming from. 
It's true. And I think because of his parents, he was often in his room a lot and like by himself. Yeah. So also with the socialization, it's not that he was antisocial, but he maybe didn't have the same opportunities as other kids who are running out to the sandlot to play baseball and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so he's this DJ. People are calling him Weird Al in the dorm, which at first really hurts him. You're going to learn he's a very nice guy if you didn't know this already. But oh later gosh. on, he ends up taking it on as a persona. He's like, you know what? I'm going to take ownership of Weird Al, and it, it, it will become that badge of honor. And now it's synonymous with who he is. So let's jump to mid-1979. Shortly before his senior year of college, My Sharona by The Knack was uh, on yeah. the charts. <laughs> And Yankovic wanted to do a parody of it. So this is what he does. He takes his accordion into the restroom near the radio station because he didn't have any place to record, but it had good acoustics in there. And he records a parody called My Bologna. So good. He sends this to Dr. Demento, who loves it, puts it on the air, and it's like number one on his show for a couple weeks. Again, out of the gate, he's having great success with these parodies that he's putting out, and they just keep getting better. So Yankovic actually has an opportunity to meet the Knack after a show at his college. I love how he just keeps meeting people. They show up at his school, these divine opportunities, these people he love or parody, and now they're just showing up right in front of him. It's a thousand, like, meet weirds. Like in contemporary <laughs> films, it's meat cutes, but there's all these like little meat weirds where it's these like, These are oh, meat weirds. They're just at the sure. right time oh to make gosh. it happen. So the best thing is he runs up to the lead singer, Doug Figer, Figer? I think it's Figer. Yeah. And he introduces himself as the author of My Bologna. <laughs> so good. And Doug actually likes the song and suggests he goes to Capitol Records to see if they'll release it as a single, which they do. And it is released. He does get a recording contract. But I think Capitol Records folds pretty soon after this. Uh, I don't yeah. think they're right. around a lot longer. Yeah. But this is the start of him actually getting into the industry. It's no longer just on the air. Now he's actually kind of in his own right getting some work out there. And he said it's around this time he's realizing music's really the career path for me, not architecture. He wasn't doing great in school. He was doing okay. But this was really the path. And he's starting to see as it's not just an interest, but could be a viable career. Yeah. So in 1980, he guests on the Dr. Demento show. Now he's on it. It's in person. You're not just shipping in your mixtapes. And this brings us to the 80s. This is where really, oh, get ready to take off, people. Dr. Demento, Weird Al, come together. And he records a live parody of Another One Bites the Dust by Queen, titled Another One Rides the Bus. And what happens is while he's practicing this song in this outside of the sound booth, this guy, John Schwartz, sometimes called John Bermuda Schwartz. Come on, that's funny. Great. Bermuda Schwartz. That's great. It took me a little while to catch yeah, on. I'm I not going to lie. I'm doing it. I was like, oh, I get it. That's funny. Who told Al, he's like, hey, I'm a drummer. And basically, he agrees to go and bang on Yankovic's accordion case to help keep a beat during the song. So this just chance encounter, and he's like, yeah, I'm a drummer. I'll help you out. This song becomes so popular that Yankovic's first TV appearance in 1981 is him performing this on The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder, which I saw a little clip of him performing. Did you watch this? It is very uh, frenetic. It is very, he's into it, man. Frenetic's a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. April 21st, 1981 is when this happens. And uh, you've got John Bermuda Schwartz banging on the case of the accordion on the ground behind him with like, you know, like, it's almost like um, a Foley setup. So he's like, there's like horns to hit and like, 
and like yeah. little whistles to blow. You know what's really funny though is like you would think in that first performance it's like uh i don't have a drum but here's a case but they keep having him knock on the case it's so good i find that hilarious it's a pretty wild performance i mean the energy that weird al puts out there and he's dressed to the nines yeah. but no one had ever seen anything like this before i would boldly claim absolutely and it's sort of hard to I don't know if you're like a baby and it's your first sunrise. You're like, I don't know what I'm conceiving right now. What is that? It's amazing. It's amazing. So also in 1981, he's going on tour as part of Dr. Demento's stage show. And at one of these performances, the manager of the nightclub named Jay Levy is blown away by Yankovic's performance and suggests that he hold auditions to create a band and so they bring on a bass player, Steve J, guitarist Jim West, and Schwartz, good old Bermuda Schwartz, continues on as his drummer. And so by March of 1982, they have a band and they perform as an opening act for the rock band Missing Persons. Do they ever get Schwartz a proper kit? Like, does he ever get a snare drum or a bass? Or is it, is it to this day, is it still uh, an accordion He's still still on that accordion case. I, I'm going to assume he did upgrade, but I don't okay. know. God, someday, I hope. What's so funny, though, is I watched the VH1 Behind the Music on Weird Al. And oh, they, no way! All of the members say that this show was awful. Really? They The audience hated him they wanted them off the stage it was terrible man talking about like some golden ages of music vh1 had some solid programming back in the day Mm -hmm. and like where are they now pop-up video like vh you know for those behind the music was always good and behind the music was great you know vh1 followed mtv as far as music programming but i think you know whereas mtv was great at highlighting the artists and their music videos, VH1 was sort of the Wikipedia of the mm. music and sort of like taught you more about the artists and the music. And I thought I, I, VH1 was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It was great. That's a good point. I think they paired very nicely in terms of how they presented the material and what they covered yeah. and the kinds of shows they had. And that's a great distinction. Yeah. Well, despite this abysmal reaction from the crowd, Yankovic is not deterred. Good. In fact, good he, he goes on to record I Love Rocky Road, a parody of I Love Rock and Roll by the Eras. And this song hits the top 40. And not top 40 of Dr. Demento's radio. This is Billboard right. Top 40. This is a real top 40. This is big time. And in 1983, he releases a self-titled album, Weird Al Yankovic, with I Love Rocky Road on it. In addition to, he has a parody of Tony Basil's Mickey, Ricky, which is I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. That one was pretty funny. That which was is good. great. <laughs> the, even the, the woman who's singing, she's got the kind of raspy voice. Just like, <laughs> Ricky, yes, so Ricky, good. Yes. Yeah, she was good. She's on it. He releases a music video of I Love Rocky Road for a very young MTV. If you remember back, if you followed us from the beginning, our third episode about Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. This is when music videos were not a thing. They were brand new. Everyone's figuring them out. What is this all about? So honestly, 
I think everyone would agree. Without MTV, I don't think you get Weird Al where he is today. No, like it- the music on its own, the albums are great. But I think what really gets him into the cultural zeitgeist, what really made him break through were these MTV videos. 100%. This video culture is massive for Weird Al and a huge differentiator, again, because you have so many artists at the time. In general, any kind of music, artists take themselves very seriously. And it's, it's like heavy themes and yeah. you know, passionate, sexy music videos. And then here comes Weird Al singing about how much he loves Rocket Road ice cream. It's actually <laughs> what I would call like a recreation of the Saved by the Bell diner. It's kind Ooh. of what it looks like. It looks like yeah, a 50 yeah, Saved yeah. by the Bell diner. 100%. So Yankovic goes on to release his second album, Weird Al Yankovic in 3D in 1984. And this is the big breakout. The first single is Eat It a parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It. If you know anything about Weird Al, you know this song. And again, a lot of its popularity comes from that music video. It's almost a shot-for-shot parody of Jackson's Beat It music video. It's got a little slapstick, almost like airplane or naked gun type slapstick in it. It's got these little gaffes. My favorite part, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. My favorite part is at the end of that video, he turns to the camera and has the cat eyes like Michael Jackson does oh, at the end right. of Thriller. It's so good. <laughs> well, and I love there too, you know, Michael Jackson was another artist who came out the world and brought things you've never seen before. You know, like yeah. we talked about Thriller at the very start of season two of 80s High and other things. And Jackson loved Weird Al. He very much respected Weird Al's work and what he was doing. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk later about how Weird Al got permission or was able to do these songs. But with Jackson, Jackson had like a full blessing on Weird Al for his whole career. And he's just like, do whatever you want from my stuff. I love what you do. It's great. Yeah, I would say that the music videos and Michael Jackson's willingness to fully endorse, particularly Eat It and the next one with Fat, Yes. I think those are really what propel Weird Al into that stratosphere. Those are the things that did it. And and yeah, we're certainly going to talk about it. Eat It, by the way, was the highest charting single of Weird Al's all the way up until 2006 when White and Nerdy comes out. We'll come back to that, of course. (laughs) White and Nerdy. I do want to pause really quick here because we are going to talk about this more to talk about the type of songs that are on his albums traditionally. Now, this is like... The mixtape, as we mentioned before, it's got different types of songs, pretty standard across all of his, goodness, 14 studio albums. It's incredible. So prolific. It's amazing. Mind-blowing. So first and foremost, we have these parodies of contemporary hits, which are typically half the songs on an album. What he does with these is he keeps the backing music pretty faithful to the original. The guitar riff on Eat It is pretty much identical to the guitar riff on Beat It. And that's true for a lot or all of these parodies. Now, under fair use provision of U.S. copyright law, artists such as Yankovic do not need permission to record a parody. These are fair use. He doesn't need it. But guess what, folks? Al, always a man not to burn bridges, but rather to mend relationships, will not put out a song unless it has the endorsement, the blessing of the original artist. What a gentleman. Class act right there. What a gentleman. And, you know, with that parody, I got to tell you, you know, what we've covered this season on 80s High, Nintendo and McDonald's are just kicking their feet in the dirt, just angry. Their, their armies of lawyers are just like, man, we can't go get Weird Al. Just, yeah. bummed, just bummed out. Yeah, or Disney. Did you mention Disney? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Or Disney. Right. 
Yeah, and, and the way that I'll put it is I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to be embroiled in any nastiness. That's not how I live my life. I like everybody to be in on the joke and be happy for my success. I take pains not to burn bridges. What a cool guy. That's awesome. So those are the parodies. He also does style parodies or pastiches. And this is more a parody of a band or a genre rather than a song. A great example from the 80s, Dare to be Stupid, is a style parody of Devo. So it's not really about a particular Devo song, but more the band, which he loved Devo, by the way. Uh, One of his later ones, it's a style parody of charity records. It's Don't Download This Song. So it's kind (laughs) of like the We Are the Worlds and all those kinds of songs that are out there, which is great. He does have some original songs that are his and his alone. A couple examples from the records I know, there's Midnight Star, which is from his Weird Al in 3D. And that one is kind of a playoff of like The Inquirer and all that. He also has one from the even worse album called Stuck in a Closet with Vanna White, which is one of my favorite <laughs> songs. It's so ridiculous. It's it's wacky. Yeah. But anyway, so he has some original songs that are pretty much his and his alone. And then lastly, most albums have one polka melody on it yeah, where he plays a polka that can have up to a dozen contemporary songs all kind of mashed together in this mixed bag. The choruses and memorable lines of various songs are played in kind of a humorous, sometimes sped up manner. And what differentiates these is these are the actual lyrics typically or lines from these songs. So this is a little bit different than the parodies. So he does have to get the permission and there's weird stuff with royalties, which we won't get into. Yeah, right, right, right. But just suffice to say, he does that with these songs. And what he said is sometimes these songs that end up in polka melodies or the style parodies were songs that he tried to make a true parody to, but it just wasn't strong enough. It didn't stand alone. So sometimes he would repurpose some of those into these melodies or, again, the style parodies. So those are the kinds of songs that you'll find on pretty much all of Al's albums. Did you have anything to add about that, Ben? No, I'm just glad you brought clarity to that because I think when you're when you're trying to understand Weird Al, you're listening to it, and you know maybe maybe you don't have a background in music law and copyright and trademark and uh, fair use. Uh, it's yeah. really helpful to have that vocabulary of like what the difference is between satire and parody. And I think he's most well known for his parodies, but he has a whole breadth of work that is all original work that has nothing to do with riffing on some of the most popular songs of the time. So that was really helpful. That's great. And I think that's a a trick of also like cover bands, right? Like they make their own music, but when they go to play it, everyone's like, play the cover songs. Like they get really mad, but it's a bummer because I think in the same light, like a lot of his original content doesn't get nearly the kind of attention or praise that I think his parodies do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the remaining albums that carry us through the 80s. And we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the song parodies that show up on them. So we did mention Weird Al Yankovic in 3D, which had Eat It. It also had The Brady Bunch, which was a parody of The Safety Dance by Men Without Hats. I love that song. It's so so good. That's hilarious. He has King of Suede, which is a parody of The Police's King of Pain. And then I Lost on Jeopardy, which is by the Greg Kinn Band. They had a song called Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, the chorus is My Life's in Jeopardy, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then he just, I Lost on Jeopardy. Right. Oh, that was a great music video. So good. It was pretty silly. That was a pretty standout album. Then we have Dare to be Stupid, 
which, as I mentioned, had that Devo style parody, which is what the album's titled after. This also had Like a Surgeon, which is based off of Madonna's Like a Virgin. And did you hear the story about this one, Ben? Well, there's something interesting here. Yeah. And so correct me if I if I get any of this wrong. So yeah. Weird Al, I'm sure, and listeners, as you are in your brain right now as well, people would love to send in ideas to Weird Al. You've got to parody this. And Weird Al... Uh, would generally say, nah, like I kind of choose what I want to do. Thank you for your submission. Very kind, but no, no, no. However, there is one exception and that is Madonna, Madam rock and roller of the eighties, pop culture magnate. So Madonna's friend was a mutual friend of Weird Al's manager, Jay Levy. And they had gotten introduced along the way at some point. And she was talking with her friend and she was wondering aloud, you know, when is, when is this guy Weird Al Yankovic going to turn like a virgin into like a surgeon? Yeah. And so her friend told Jay Levy and Jay told Al and I was like, okay, actually, that's, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, I should probably do good. that. Yeah, I like that. It's pretty good. And probably only because it came from the artist herself. It came herself. from Madonna, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a fan writing in like, hey, you should do this. <laughs> this is my, f- do the Dino Writers theme song. Like he's like, you know. Exactly. I do have a joke about that that I'm going to come back to in contemporary culture, as a matter Ooh, of fact. Okay. Dare to be Stupid also has I Want a New Duck, which is I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis in the News. Oh, yeah. And this album does okay. In 86, again, he's cranking these out. Basically, every year we have 83, 84, 85. Which is incredible. Now, it's amazing. I mean, my goodness. Granted, he's a young guy. He's getting inspiration. There's a lot of big music in the 80s. So I get it. But part of it, too, is it's like there has to be like the cultural moment for him to find something worth parodying. And that's why, you know, there might be periods of time where he doesn't put an album out because there's just not anything there. But the 80s are prolific. So 1986, Polka Party has Living with a Hernia after James Brown's Living in America. Which is amazing. That's And that's like a high production music video. Like it's a big show. It's It's impressive. We have Addicted to Spuds, which is based off Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. Might as well face it, I'm addicted to spuds. Not many other big standouts. This album actually does pretty bad. It's a commercial disappointment. It's not well regarded. This was, at this point, probably the low point in terms of the success of his albums. But listeners, don't worry. Everybody loves a comeback. Al likes to joke that every one of his albums is a comeback because he's like, I do stuff and I go away. And then I do stuff and I go away. Well, this is a big comeback. 1988. Even worse, this is where we get the Michael Jackson parody of Bad called Fat. Yeah. We get I Think I'm a Clone Now based off of Tiffany's I Think I'm Alone Now. I think I'm alone now. Alimony based off Billy Idol's Moni Moni. So good. And Lasagna based off La Bamba La by Los Lobos. Lasagna. So good. This album is another boom, massive hit. So Al is writing a high. Things are great. He had a little bit of a stumble, but he's quickly caught his footing. And it comes around that he has an opportunity to make a major motion picture. He gets to make a movie. I'm so glad this is coming up. I, I'm assuming hmm. I have to keep most of my commentary to chemistry, but I'm glad it's coming up right here. We're going to talk about the specifics now, but we're definitely coming back to this okay, good. movie. Thank God. Thank absolutely, in chemistry. So this movie, if you know Weird Al, is UHF. Now, Ben, do you know what UHF is in reference to? All I know off the top of my head is that it's an acronym for ultra high frequency. Okay. Which I think is uh, a bandwidth that you can tune into on a, on a radio, but that's about as far as I've got. 
You're absolutely right. It's a broadcast signal band, and it's often reserved for higher station numbers. These are often carrying local TV shows. Uh, as it turned out with quirky, low-cost productions, you're not finding the big channel affiliates. You're not okay. finding the ABC yeah. local affiliate. Live, action, two news. Like Those are the low numbers. They're on VHF, which is very high frequency. I love all of these. <laughs> very so high, ultra very, high. Very high, super ultra. Again, kind of more low-budget, quirky productions tended to be on UHF. I, I almost kind of think of it as akin to local access media. You know, those like yes. weird shows you see on local cable access or local, yeah, those yes. kind of things. It's sort of like that. Coincidentally, UHF signals also tended to be less reliable and subject to more interference. So again, everything speaks sort of low budget. And so Al gets this idea in partnership with his manager, Jay Levy, they kind of come together to create this story. And the way I like to think of it is if you take the vivid daydreams of Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I love that movie. And it meets the satirical spoofs of Airplane. Like if oh, you merge those two yeah. concepts together, you kind of get the, the feel of this movie. And Al stars in it as the main character, along with Michael Richards, Kramer from Seinfeld. Right? That's insane. Before Kramer, of course. Yeah, right. Fran Drescher, pre The Nanny. Is that what she was in? The Nanny? Oh, that's right. Fran Drescher's in UHF. Right. She's the Annie. Yeah. Yeah, Fran Drescher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have Victoria Jackson, yeah. who kind of disappeared, but she was a comedian. I'd say pretty big comedian in the 80s. She was on SNL, uh, amongst other things. And so some pretty well-known people in this movie. And the basic plot is it's following Al's character, George Newman, who's an aimless dreamer who ends up managing a small TV station that his uncle wins in a poker game. You know that old trope. <laughs> so <laughs> That old... <laughs> So George and his friends manage the station and they make it into a success. It's kind of faltering. And through these like variety of quirky shows and weird things, shows like Wheel of Fish and commercials like Spatula City, Spatula, Spatula City, Spatula City. That's my favorite right there. They end up saving it from bankruptcy and take over from a ruthless network station owner. So that's the general gist of the movie. And I say this for a very important reason. Well, what's interesting is that UHF itself was a movie poised to revive the struggling Orion Pictures because they've had a string of just bad movies. So they take UHF to test screenings, and it does really well. They said it had some of the best test screenings since RoboCop. Right, which is amazing. It's awesome. And so they're like, great, this movie's going to bring us back from the brink. Weird Al's really popular. This is going to be the summer blockbuster to revive our struggling production company. And thank goodness it'll be released at a really slow time with no competition, right? It'll own I'm the I'm just going to ask Ben, what would be worse than this movie coming out against like one big blockbuster? I mean, it can't get any worse than that, right? That's the, that's the worst that could happen. Worst case scenario. What if it came up between at least three blockbusters all at the same time? Oh, my God. Bad timing. Bad timing. Insane competition. Let's just talk to them. What, what movies are we talking about, Ben? Let's so go back and I forth. I want to go in order of what I think were the biggest oh, okay. uh, apocalyptic events that stood in the way of you and Jeff <laughs> doing well. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. License to Kill comes out that summer, which was a, uh, another Bond movie. James Bond movie, yeah. I don't know which in the lineup. 319. It's a Timothy Dalton one. Dalton I can't one. tell you okay. that number, but it's, it's it's the Dalton era. Okay, still, what else? Going up against a Bond is bad. I would say the third biggest, I would say is Ghostbusters 2. 
comes Ghostbusters out Ghostbusters freaking two. The sequel to Ghostbusters comes out at the same time. So the pressure is mounting. What else? This is a toss up between these two. These are both huge films and I can't decide which would be bigger. Let's say because nobody knew what they were getting into yet. The second biggest film of the summer, Batman. Batman. Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Batman comes out. Really the OG live action blockbuster superhero movie. Huge. All the way back then. Absolutely huge. And the only other, I mean, this was such a toss up between Batman and this one, but Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. What a titan of film in the summer. Good luck, UHF. That's not it, because you know what else was in the theater at that same time? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lethal Weapon 2, When Harry Met Sally, Do the Right Thing, and Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, well, it was Bernie's that really sunk it. Uh, that's a that's a hard line. How could you ever not just go to the movies all summer? What a great summer for film. That's awesome. I don't think Hollywood is capable of releasing this slate of movies in a year, let alone no. in the same month. God, no. My God, the AV Club in a retrospective said UHF was a sapling among redwoods. Yeah, oh, that's a good that's a good analogy. I mean, it could have been a good movie, but the absolute worst timing. This is a huge commercial failure. I think it was in the theaters only about a month. Uh, and it ends up leaving Yankovic in a three-year slump. It's a bummer, buddy. Doesn't come back until the early 90s. So despite this going on to become a cult classic later on... It's a hard way for us to end history class with Weird Al Yankovic's career in the 80s. But this is where we have to leave it, Ben. Is there anything? We're going to talk tons more in chemistry, of course. But is there anything we need to pick up in history class before we head down the hall? Well, the artistry here is beautiful because you've left our listeners on the edge. We're we're at the climax of the episode. Our hero has fallen. How is he going to make a comeback? How yeah. is Weird going to pull himself out of the detritus on the forest floor of the Redwoods? How does he climb out? How indeed. We're not going to find out to contemporary culture because <laughs> first true. we got to stop at chemistry class. It is time to head to chemistry where, Ben, I think we dare to be stupid thinking that we can get through all of the memories and experiences of Weird Al's music. Hopefully we don't go off the deep end or even worse. Uh, I'm going to carefully pick my way down the hallway like a surgeon. Great. References. Gosh, we're so smart. Uh, <laughs> trying. <laughs> look, look how clever we are. So look at us. We have so much to get through in chemistry. You were biting your tongue. You were sitting on your fists. You just wanted to talk about all of these like juicy hot yes. bits of information. We're finally here in chemistry class to talk about those. I do want to open this up. Can you tell us what were your earliest memories with Weird Al Yankovic and his music? Yeah, admittedly, I got hit with the Weird Al Yankovic bug in the 90s, right in the start. But then, of course, you discover and then you go, you work your way backwards. But it was my neighbor right. across the street, David. We were in the same grade. Uh, David introduced me to a lot of fun sort of uh, pop culture in this area, toys, video games. Uh, and all, we were Cub Scouts together. But he introduced mm. me to Weird Al on some of our, you know, for those Cub Scouts, you got to have a long road trip and a big white unmarked passenger van all of you jumping around you're putting cassettes and cds in the front and uh i think that's where i first heard weird Al was on one of those road trips on scouts from that david had brought and it was just a kind of comedy and a humor you never had heard before it's sort of you know and it is a little bit of a hearkening back to alf where alf would make all these sort of like 
innocent comments on society and how weird it was that we do mm. things certain ways. Never out to get anybody, but just like, hey, you know, that's how kids think when they're trying to understand the world. And that that was Weird Al. That is Weird Al. And just thinking like, oh my God, I've never heard comedy like this before. This is hilarious. This is fantastic. I, so I'd say I can get, we'll get into more later, but that's how I first came in touch with uh, Senor Yankovic uh, yourself. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my brother and I listened to these cassettes a ton. We cracked up at them. I had Weird Al Yankovic in 3D and even worse. Well, I'm, I'm lying. That's not accurate. I have <gasps> Weird Al. Ladies and gentlemen, Yankovic he is not 3D holding posters And up. even worse. He is not holding CD cases up. He is holding actual cassette tapes. Yes. And for your AMSR pleasure, I'm going to open this cassette. Man, look at that. Look at that. Do you have any way to play it right now? Do you have a cassette player? Sadly, no. I don't, I don't have any way to play this or oh, VHS. No. It's very sad. Also, what's crazy, I don't know if I, you can see it on the oh, camera. the liner all, notes with all the lyrics. All the liner notes with the lyrics Fantastic. are in the even worse album, Teeny Tiny Scrawl. But I always appreciated albums and artists that had the lyrics in there. That was and the best. it was in all of them. And, of course, there's no, like... Was it Last FM that you could go look up the song lyrics? You just no, didn't have that. Like read the poetry while you're listening to the music hanging yes. in your room. I'm like, ah, oh, it was the best. So we love those two. I don't think I owned another one until Alapalooza. Yeah, right. Which had the Jurassic Park parody of MacArthur Park. MacArthur Park by Richard Harris. Indeed. MacArthur Park is melting in the dark. It's a very trippy song. Weird Al guest riffs on riff tracks with Mike Nelson when they do Jurassic Park, which is oh, super amazing. duper fun. He does a great oh, job. Oh, that's so good. Uh, I, of course, remember all the music videos from MTV and how much we loved those and knew the originals. So it was so hilarious to see both the originals. And again, he does a lot of shot for shot parodies oh so God, you're yeah. basically seeing the same one with different characters and again it's got that slapstick kind of goofy humor in it which is great and probably not in the 80s but i think at some point in the 90s at my friend nathan's house when we were having a sleepover or something i remember watching uhf i saw it oh, you at, had watched it i think just once somewhere i can't fully pinpoint it but that's a lot of my earlier memories of Weird Al and his music. And again, my brother and I just listening to it, laughing at all the lines. I'm sure there was a lot of rewind, listen again, rewind, listen again. It was so good. I didn't get a chance to get exposed to UHF until college. And somebody had ah. it like in their DVD collection. I was like, this case looks insane because it's sort of a close-up of Weird's face, but it looks like his eyes are being hypnotized by mm. spinning televisions or radios. It was a joke that entire year of Spatula City. Like you would, you'd grab a spatula in someone's kitchen and yell "Spatula City!" <laughs> spatula um, City. It was the best. Um, oh, yeah. So well, should we get into some of our classmates' memories of Weird Al? Please. So, just open-ended question. Hey, what memories do you have of Weird Al? Yeah. So first classmate says, I was never quote unquote into Weird Al as I never bought his music or followed his career, but I always appreciate his staying power. Mm. Ever since I was a kid, he still managed to stay relevant and fun and funny. Also, UHF is a hilarious movie. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And, and this comes from classmate Mikey B. Again, you heard him on Slashers. This is a film aficionado. Yeah, so absolutely. You heard it Thank from you. the source, everybody. 
Next we have classmate Jimmy the Geek, which is a reference to a Weird Al song. Perfect. He said, my brother and I used to listen to Weird Al so much when we were kids. We would listen to his songs over and over and just laugh. It was funny because my name is mentioned in one of the songs, which made it even funnier. Spoilers, this is my brother. But anyway. What? (laughs) But yeah, so, but there is a song, Jimmy the Geek. And I remember, I think the lyric is like, his name is Jimmy the Geek, the four-eyed freak. And I used to call him that. I don't think he enjoyed that very much. Sorry, Jim, I didn't mean that. But anyway, he was bigger than me, so he could beat me up. So there was a checks and balance. (laughs) I couldn't overextend. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, This classmate gave their weird name as Not Normal, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> not normal Nick says Alapalooza was one of the very first cassettes I owned I mean there are countless others but that was like a college degree in figuring out that you didn't have to do what everyone else was doing to be cool it's a yeah. very important underlying message of all weirds Al's work from there Absolutely. on I can probably sing all the words to every single he put out until around 2000 also who wants to drink from the fire hose <laughs> so good so good oh my gosh I love that them. scene from UHF yeah wild. that's great And I think that's great. Like what Not Normal Nick mentioned is the fact that I think a lot of people feel a sort of kindred spirit or just a great vibe about Al because he really did his own thing. He marched to the beat of his own accordion. And I think for people who always felt like they were an outcast or an outsider at school, again, geek and nerd culture, not cool. And I think for someone to see a person like that who could be himself and be quirky and successful at it, I think that was a great thing for young people to see, to feel like, okay, this is actually, I can be this person. I can be myself. I don't have to hide that. I thought that was awesome. Totally. And I think you're digging something else that makes Weird Al so wonderful is like, he's just such a good person. Mm. You know, you've been through, what now, 39 episodes of 80s High with me, and you know I like a little yellow journalism, and I like to dig in and, and try and find out, okay, where did where did this guy mess up? Where did the career go off the deep end? You know, where's where's the binger? Ending up in an opium den for a while and, and trafficking uh, exotic animals across borders. Um, That's right. Al's record is not only squeaky clean – but everybody talks about how much they love working with him, how funny he is, how thoughtful and kind he is. Yeah. That's great on two levels. One, because he was, I feel like outcast is too wrong of the word, but he was a unique personality in school growing up. It sounds like it was hard for him to find a community. Yeah. So to not have a vengeance on the world when he has the ability to do so. You know, none of his songs are out to get anybody. Like we said, like he never in- insults the artist. It's more of like a commentary on pop culture. To not only do that, but just even in his interactions, just a grateful, humble, thankful person, even at the stardom he's achieved, yeah. is astounding. It's so it's so impressive. It really makes listening to his music and seeing the art that he creates that much more valuable and that much more cool to be a part of. Yeah, and I think you pair that with the fact that he made sure that all of these artists gave consent. Again, didn't need to. That was above and beyond what he wanted to do for building this good relationship. And it just falls completely in line with his character. And yeah, you're digging for dirt and you just don't find any, like the guy's just super sweet, super nice. And he's done so many collaborations. Again, if you're a aficionado, I'm going to call you. Ooh, That was good. An alkalite. I'm going to call you that too. Oh my God. Then you are not going to get a full in-depth dive. We can't do it. This would be like a 12-hour episode. It'd be a whole season 
about everything this guy has done. So we're going to have to skip over some of this stuff. But again, all these collaborations and everything that he's done, whether it's his music videos, his movies, he directs movies, he's done a lot of stuff on sites like College Humor, and he's done epic rap battles of history. I'm jumping a little bit ahead. But the point is, all of that, good vibes the whole way through, which is super cool. Epic rap battles and history. That's one of my favorite pop culture things in music. I think he plays Isaac Newton, right? If yeah, I remember so his good. Episode. I love that yeah. show. Amazing. So, you know, I do, I said I got into him in the 90s and we went through some songs. I want to hear some other of your favorite songs, but I just want to get into like some of one of my favorite songs of Al's were, but they're 90s. Yeah. Is that okay? Am I going to get in trouble here? Can I do that? Listen, it's going to be blurred lines here. Uh, ah, <laughs> it's, going to, nice. it's going to be word crimes. Word crimes. I don't think we can contain chemistry to the 80s because he is decade spanning I think it's completely appropriate. We're going to dab a little bit in this 90s and beyond. We'll catch up in contemporary culture. Beautiful. But lay it on us. Like, what are some standout moments, whether it's the music videos or the songs? What you got? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's the last week of school before summer break. Like, the teacher was always just putting movies on. Like, we were just screwing around. Like, you know, it wouldn't have to be so strict. And if we're being honest, we're the students and we're running the school, so we can do whatever we now. want. We're in charge now. I'm the captain now. Look at my eyes. Do you want to go back and forth, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've I've three as my top three. Great. So my first one, uh, I love. I'm and maybe this helped fuel it. And I'm I'm so glad that I referenced Kenobi at the top in Homeroom. But Weird Al was oh, a huge yeah. Star Wars fan. He loved Star Wars pop culture. And so right at the gate, I love the saga begins. Mm. which is uh, a parody of Don McLean's American Pie, which is a big song for me too. I always remember as a kid riding around in the car, uh, whenever American Pie came on the radio, my dad would sing along. He loved American Pie. It feels like a timeless song. Like no matter what generation or age, if you came after American Pie, you know the song. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was the unofficial song of my fraternity in college. And oh. even like when it's, you sing it, I can't help in my head, but also at the same time be doing these the Saga Begins lyrics by Weird Al. Very understandable. These are some of his best lyrics that map on to the original. My, my, this here Anakin guy. <laughs> Maybe Vader someday <laughs> later, later. Now, now he's, he's just, just a, a small fry. fry. Right? Singing soon, I'm going to be a Jedi. Yes. It's so good. But this is a song, if you're a karaoke and this song comes on, everyone is singing along to it. Oh, it's yeah. like Sweet Caroline, right? If Sweet yeah. Caroline comes on, bah, everyone's bah, at least doing bah. the bah, bah, bah. Yeah, you know, Everyone's sure. doing that part. This is the same kind of thing. And so when you just map on Star Wars on top of that, it's so fun. then it's like, how can you not sing along to this song? It's a, And when he does the performance, he's even got the little like Anakin hairdo. It's hilarious. Well, and that's the thing we'll talk about too is like his costuming and all of this is so good, whether it's in his oh, yeah. music videos, the fat suit, you can't forget the fat suit from fat, um, or when he performs live, like the costuming really puts it there and really helps sell the parody. He does like over a dozen costume changes for the show, as I understand. We'll talk about concerts, yeah. of course, but I feel like every song he does, he's probably, whether it's the Kurt Cobain wig, it's the fat suit for fat, if it's the Anakin suit, like he's getting into character for pretty much every song, which is impressive. What a what a showman, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, great. So what's your first out of the gate? What's one of your favorite Weird Al songs? I just want to say, we're, we're talking about fat. And I, when I was a kid, I loved that so much. I think Michael Jackson actually told Al where that subway station is so he could oh, go no back way. to the exact That's same cool. location. That's impressive. But there's just a, fun, a couple parts of those that I thought were so hilarious. I don't know why they're funny. You know, he does a lot of the mannerisms of Michael Jackson, like that, and the 
Shamon and the Shamon! you know that kind of stuff. The funniest one is when they're running and they're going ho, and then someone grabs a garden hoe and he's like, oh, ho, oh, like ho, oh. like right. He's looking for As this a garden kid, tool. That cracks me up. It's a great joke. And there's the other one where he rips off the air vent and they're all getting blown away. And they're like fighting against the wind and he just pulls out of his coat a pinwheel. And I don't know why I thought that was funny as a kid, but I would roll on the ground. It's such goofy humor. But those are the things that just as a child, it's like Al got my brain. Yeah, he was right. right tapped into it. Again, I loved Mad TV, Mad Magazine, Cracked Magazine, In Living Color, Naked Gun, Scary Movie, Airplane. Like, I loved all of those because of the, like, goofy scene gags, the plays on words and playing with language and just, I loved all that stuff so much. Right. And, you know, this, I'm jumping a a really far ahead to math class, but somehow he pulls off fat without insulting anybody. Mm. Like, I feel like he never fat shames anybody in it. He never, like, mocks it as a as a problem you know maybe there's an angle on it but honestly like after watching it i wasn't like wow that was really insensitive al like he somehow pulls it off you know i i stopped to look and i i wanted to go through some comment sections and see like at a very modern lens is this still okay and i wanted to listen to the lyrics because yeah. it does have a lot of fat jokes but i mean the refrain is the whole world knows i'm fat and i'm proud like yeah right i, I don't know like if it's I, I was trying to see, like, okay, does this not really stand up to the test of time? But it does feel like it somehow threads the needle a bit so that it's still a parody, but it's not mean-spirited in the slightest. Oh, but yeah. I agree with you. I was trying to see, like, does it hold up okay? Does it kind of fall flat? I don't know. Well, I wish I could be more original with my second favorite Weird Al song, but it's still on theme. And that song has got to be Yoda. Yo ho 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 da. Uh, the, the parody of Lola by the Kinks. This is a Shadow Star Wars episode. It is a, this is our third reference. I know, I've got Kenobi third. on the mind. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's just, I don't know, it's funny, it's catchy, it's such an easy jump once you see it from Lola to Yoda. Right. And it's just funny, It's it's got um, a lot of cute visualizations that are out there about Yoda. And again, he does this thing in the Star Wars universe, you know, Yoda is is basically a god. You know, he's the best Jedi that ever lived sort of thing. Yeah. And while Yoda can be a little funny tongue-in-cheek, sort of like a, like a, like a sensei, mm. it's largely a, a serious moment in Star Wars canon where Luke is trying to learn the Force and conquer his future with Vader and all that. And for Weird Al to, like, turn it into this ridiculous song, sort of, like, poking fun at Yoda, the little puppet. It's really good, and it's catchy. It gets in your head. It's a great song. Absolutely. Gosh, as a kid, I love, I don't know why I lost on Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. I remember when that music video was on, and they had Don Pardo on, who's the actual announcer at that time in Jeopardy. And he does the whole thing like, you know, you lost. You don't even win a lousy version of our home game. You're a complete loser. Like, it's just, it's, I don't know why I thought it was so funny. I guess maybe just because Jeopardy was obviously on. And as a kid, it's not really aimed towards children. But it, of course, you just know of it. And for some reason, I think that announcer, especially that little segment in the song really cracked me up. That was a good one for sure. I had not seen that music video before. And it's kind of funny. I lost on Jeopardy. Have you ever known anybody? Just as fun, fun fact. uh, Do you know anyone who's ever been on Jeopardy? I can't say I have. Is that a leading question? Because you know somebody? That's always, that's like the shallowest questions, right? Like you ask someone else, I can talk about myself. I was not on Jeopardy. Uh, But I do have a cousin 
who's a listener of the show who was on Jeopardy. Uh, they do. They have claimed that the hardest thing on Jeopardy is that pretty much everybody knows the answer who's up there, but it's who can buzz the fastest. It's all about that like sure. quick thumb. Video game players might have an advantage. I know. I'm thinking maybe I should go all on. All that Mario Brothers paid off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I will bring it down to my number one favorite Weird Al song of all time. Mm. Begins with, as I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. That's just uh, perfect for an Amish like me. Amish I love Paradise. Amish Paradise. A parody of Coolio's Gangster's Paradise, which we'll get into later a little bit I want to talk about. Of course. But again, it's this ability to take something so serious. And the lyrics to Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise are hard. It's it's a story of growing up on the streets and the violence and the darkness of that. It's a really, when you read the lyrics, it's a very depressing song. Of course. And Weird Al turns it into one of the, like, how could you ever imagine that a rap song could kind of end up talking about Amish culture? <laughs> I think I learned most of everything I know about Amish culture from <laughs> Amish Paradise. You know, how farming works and no electricity and all that like stuff. I like that. I'm going to get medieval on your hiney. Exactly. So exactly. You know, knowing that the day starts at 4.30 when you're milking cows. The closing line of the first verse, then tonight we're going to party like it's 1699. It's just, it's such a fun song. And that, you know, Gangsta's Paradise was so huge then. So there was great timing to get out of the gate real quick while it was still in everyone's mind. And they also get Florence Henderson, the mom from the Brady Bunch, to play this (laughs) Amish woman giving these harsh stares at the camera. Completely hilarious. Well, and I think that's critical. Like what is part of Weird Al's success is he's very fast to get the parody out. While the song is still hot, you typically, what he's parodying, and I've seen that as a big problem in Hollywood and pop culture in general, where like, Mm -hmm. you got Harry Potter World at Universal Studios like a decade after the Deathly Hallows came out. Like, we finally got Star Wars Galaxy, where you can go see the Millennium Falcon like 50 years after, (laughs) you know, A New Hope came out. Right. And there's something about like cranking this stuff out as fast as possible while it's still on people's minds to help make it successful. And like, if Amish Paradise came out today, nobody would care because that's a 30-year-old song. Yes, and yet you have a song like Jurassic Park, which is another one I love. I'm kind of surprised it wasn't on your list, which is a parody of MacArthur Park, which is a very old song by the time he does it. And what's so funny, I was watching the video and I looked down in the comments and somebody was like, I learned about the actual song from the parody and then was like, oh, I need to go listen to the MacArthur Park. And it's, again, it's a very trippy, MacArthur Park is melting in the dark. Oh, yeah. My yeah, next yeah, line, yeah. I wanted to be in the Dinosaurs Are Running Wild. See, the parody <laughs> and the original just fuse in your brain. It's like you with the saga begins. My goodness. You know, I feel like a lot of people probably could empathize with that, where they heard like the Weird Al version first, maybe. Yeah. And then went back and discovered music. It's sort of like we talked about the symbiotic relationship between Happy Meal toys or fast food toys and like the movies or the TV shows they were on. It was like, maybe you found the toy first and then you went and discovered the movie. Well, and in many cases, the parodies far exceeded the lifespan of the actual yes, song they parodied. Like the original came and went and the parodies are still still popular at concerts and people still sing and know the lyrics. And so there you have that interesting phenomena as well, that it, it gives a little bit of longevity to some songs or outlast them. Yeah. Right. So we wanted to find out from our listeners, Hey, which weird Al music video from the eighties did you like more Eden or fat, which are probably the two biggest from the eighties, the most iconic 
which again, both happen to be Michael Jackson songs. So we put this out on blast through the quiz, through Twitter, through Instagram. And we had about a one-third, two-thirds split. Two-thirds came out for Eat It, with one-third liking the music video for Fat. Oh, really? So we do want to talk a little bit about music artist reactions to these parodies. And there's tons of them. We don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. Again, we're going to jump ahead in time here just to be compact with talking about this. But Ben, I have split this up into what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ooh. Wow, wow, wow. So let's start with the good. We've already kind of talked about the most, I think, influential one, which is Michael Jackson. He helped make Weird Al's career, really. Huge fan, very approving of his songs and his themes, with one exception. Oh. Uh, the one exception is the song Black or White. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm struggling to remember the song that he wanted to parody on it. But this is the one MJ said no to because he felt that black or white was such an important message. He didn't want it to be undermined by the parody of it, which I totally understand. I get that. I can, you know, I, I, I would sort of side with Jackson on that one. I get it. That's a really important song. It's good. Yeah. But I mean, most artists basically say this is a rite of passage. We know we make it when Weird Al parodies us, which I thought was great. Who specifically said that? Most notably, probably, is Nirvana. Everyone in the band, like Dave Grohl especially, he's the one who basically said, we made it, because they parodied it. Right. And there's this interesting story where he's trying to reach Kurt Cobain to get approval to do the song, and Kurt's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can do a parody of it. And then Weird Al's like, he pauses and is like, it's not going to be about food, is it? And I was like, <laughs> no, it's going to be about the fact that nobody understands your lyrics. <laughs> It's awesome. Which he definitely incorporates. And they thought it was hilarious. Everyone from the band was just all in on it. We already mentioned Don McLean from who did American Pie. He was a huge fan of Saga Begins. The presidents of the United States of America, they do the song Lump. Gump he's Gump. He's Gump. He's Gump. Marsh. <laughs> they loved it. In fact, when they did one of their live performances, they used the final line from Gump rather than Lump in their own song. No way. It's just a huge testament, I think. Oh, that's And awesome. another big one is Chameleon Air. So one of the more recent songs he did, which I thought was hilarious in the music videos, just too funny, White and Nerdy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a parody of Chameleon Air's Dirty. And Chameleon Air was like super pleased with the song. He's oh, like, awesome. Al actually has good rapping skills. <laughs> and when Chameleon Air won a Grammy, he credits the parody for the success of his own Holy song crap. and album. That's big. Which I was like, that's very generous. Nicely done. Those are some of the good ones. Are there any others you wanted to... Do we miss anything big? Uh, Lady Gaga and Ben Folds were also big fans as well. Really like yes. working with them as well. But yeah, I think you got all the big ones. So let's talk about the bad. Dun, dun, dun. So he did Bedrock Anthem, I believe on Alpalooza, the same one with Jurassic Park, which is a parody of a couple Red Hot Chili Pepper songs. And bassist Flea... Who was one of my favorite bass players of all time, I have to admit. Flea is an amazing musician. So I feel like his opinion does carry a little bit of weight. Sure, but he's like, you know what? I didn't think it was very imaginative. I was disappointed. He's like, I like Weird Al. I like what he does. But I don't think he did our songs justice. Basically what he said. Not a fan. Not a fan. Flea. Apparently Anthony Kiedis did like it, but I guess Flea, not into it. (laughs) So there you go. There you go. Prince has, throughout his entire life denied parodies of his songs. Straight up refused. No, sir. 
And Al said, I kept going back to him every few years to see if he developed a sense of humor. The answer, spoilers, was no. no. Of course, he said that, you know, prior to Prince passing away. But still, the point being, he kept trying to, like, knock on the door and be like, hey, Prince, what about now? No, no, no. There's even some weird story about how they were going to be in the same row at the Grammys. That's what, I was going to see if you saw that. That's amazing. And he was told by Prince's people not to make eye contact. That seems very Prince. It said he received a telegram prior to the show from management saying, do not make eye contact with Prince. Was that by Pony Express or a carrier pigeon? How did that get to him? It's got to be like a flamingo in a baby carriage. Yes, you're right. Showing up with dry ice. uh, Something big. A thousand percent. You're You're right. There's showmanship to the rejection. Absolutely. Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, also a fan of Weird Al, but refused parodies. Wasn't into that. Right. You got some other ones? Yeah, actually, another big music legend, Paul McCartney, Mm -hmm. uh, refused to do a parody, not of a Beatles song, but of Wings' Live and Let Die, which he wanted to do. And this is kind of fun. Weird Al wanted to do Chicken Pot Pie. Chicken Pot Pie. Like, I can just hear it already. But why did McCartney say no? Well, this hasn't even come up yet, but um, so Weird Al is a vegetarian. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that he's got this sort of obsession with food. It comes through in all the music and all the things like that. But McCartney is also a strict vegetarian. Yeah. And he didn't want any song to come out about his, (laughs) riffed off his music, that's about the consumption of animals, about meat eating. But McCartney had a solution. Did you see what McCartney offered? Yeah, he did. He's like, you could call it tofu pot pie. It's, it's not the same ring. It just doesn't and have I was the same like, ring. I've got like a chicken thing in the chorus. He's like, I can't. It's not going to work. So he's basically Ugh. like, you know what? We're, we're good here. So kind of moved on from that. It's a bummer. Uh, any other bad responses that you saw? So Eminem, not a big fan of, of Yankovic. Yankovic wanted yeah. to do uh, something for Couch Potato. He wanted to parody Lose Yourself, which is an amazing song by Eminem. Really, 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 really good. The hit track, uh, uh, the main track from 8 Mile when he did that. I feel like Eminem, maybe he's different now, but not a big sense of humor. I think he's, he's one of those I take myself a little seriously kind of guys. very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That tracks. And uh, U2 has denied him from doing it. And also Weezer's Buddy Holly, which I think is a great sign. Just like Buddy Holly uh, in a polka yeah. medley. Come on, Weezer. Couldn't do it. Weezer's a little surprising. I, would, surprised I could by see Weezer. Weezer being a little more in on it. That was that was surprising. Right. That seemed like their sense of humor. But uh, yeah. I'm going to leave the ugliest. Oh, Lordy. For you. So if you know anything about a backlash of a parody, it is, of course, of, as we mentioned before, Gangsta's Paradise by the one and only Coolio. The story goes is this. Al's people reached out to Coolio's people, his management, to get permission to do the song. He heard back, approval was given. So he does Amish Paradise. Which, by the way, Gangsta's Paradise is also based off of a Stevie Wonder song, Pastime Paradise. So we're now like, this is the grandchild uh, song. So it's not even technically fully Coolio's, but whatever, whatever. Interesting. So that's the idea. So Yankovic has the impression that Coolio gave permission. They do the song. Well, apparently Coolio did no such thing and was very upset when the song came out. Uh, so much so that you can see a clip of him after he won a Grammy where they ask him if he ever heard of the song. And he's like, I don't want to mess with that. It's not cool what happened. Like you can tell he's ticked off and wants nothing yeah, to do with it. Right. But he's like, I wish them well and success, but I want nothing to do with it. Well, apparently he was still getting royalty checks. Because the original artist is like a co-author. 
So they kind of split, as I understand, the royalties from these songs, yeah, so, right. which is kind of cool. Anyway, so there's this huge like fallout. Yankovic is just mortified. He can't believe this happened. He tries to get to Coolio. He writes him a letter. Maybe you should have had Prince in the telegram. Maybe that would have done it. That but would have been <laughs> much more effective. <laughs> on that would have been Flamingo amazing. bassinet. Uh, oh, my anyway. God. <laughs> so he sends a letter to Coolio, never gets a response back. Uh, but Coolio never takes legal action. He never really acts upon it. But you could just tell he's like, you know, I, I think he feels disrespected. And I could see it from Coolio's perspective. Granted, Al doesn't have to ask permission, but he did ask permission. And in his mind, he was told no, and he still parodied it. He's like, why are you disrespecting me when you don't parody anyone else's stuff when they say no? So I get it. This went on for a long while. But in 2006, at the Consumer Electronics Show, Yankovic and Coolio meet up. Oh, really? I did not see this. uh, There's an epilogue to this showdown. Okay. There is. So they meet up. They kind of talk it out and they make some peace. Yankovic's like, it was on good terms. I can't remember exactly what was said, but he's like, we're good now. He's like, I'm, I'm never going to Coolio's birthday party, but <laughs> you know, like we're not friends, but it was okay. And then in 2014, Coolio apologized for refusing permission. Wow. He's like, I was being cocky. I was being stupid. I was wrong. I should have embraced it. And he's like, you know what? Yankovic's parody is actually pretty funny. That's almost two decades later it took him to come around. Oh, my God. A long time to come around, but thankfully he did. Again, that could have been the potential burned bridge, but thankfully it was salvaged. And probably the the one and only detractor from Weird Al is won over in the end, uh, which is a great little coda to the story. That's beautiful. If possible, for chemistry, I have just two more things. Yeah, let's do it. Which is interesting. Uh, I want to ask you, like, do you have a favorite, like, what's your guilty pleasure food? Like, if you're going to snack a little bit, but you're like, you know, I feel a little silly that I snacked on this. Like, what's your jam? You know what it is. A whole pint of ice cream in the darkness crying by yourself? No, no, my friend. A pint (laughs) is child's play. (laughs) A whole, what's the big one? A quart? What is that? Two quarts? It's the Gatorade thing that players pour on their coaches after a game. It's not the giant bucket with the plastic lid and the handle. It's not that one. The trough. What we would all consider a full-size container of ice cream. (laughs) I can eat that in one sitting. It's so impressive. But if you've never seen Chris, he's he's a beanpole. I don't know where it goes. It's very dumb. It's very dumb. Well, it might not be as dumb as Weird Al Yankovic's signature snack food. Goodness. Which, which is, where did you learn about this? Where does this make its debut? Q-H-F. U-H-F. This is like a favorite snack of Weird Al's, and but he finally puts it in the movie and you get to see how it's made. So it's the Twinkie Wiener Sandwich. Yeah. Which is an overturned Twinkie split open, kind of like a hot dog bun. You put a hot dog in it, and then you spray Easy Cheese on top, and then you dip it in milk. I didn't see that part. This is what I read. I don't know. Oh, interesting. I've never seen it dipped in milk. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe They don't do that in the movie, right? Maybe if you're vegan, you're not supposed to dip it in milk. I don't know. Well, I mean, if you're vegan, he has tofu hot dogs. Well, exactly. (laughs) He did say he did change the recipe later on once he became vegetarian that he used tofu dogs instead. You know, what this all really boils down to is the question, would you eat it? I'm going to tell you this much. I saw a video of somebody, I think it's like a cooking chef kind of YouTube channel. 
He tried it. He's like, actually, this is really good. Is this binging with Babish by any chance? Yes. I love yes. binging with Babish. That dude knows what he's it doing. It was binging with Babish. And he ate it. He said it was actually pretty good. And then he goes to make his own like artisanal version of it, like a homemade right? where he actually makes a Twinkie. He makes the spray cheese. He makes the cream filling. And he's like, you know what? This is good. He's like, I hate to say it. I think the original's actually <gasps> better. What? I will tell you this much. After he said that, I was like, I kind of want to. Now I'm curious. I kind of want to try it. I kind of want to try it too. Uh, hey, uh, maybe on, next time we get together, we're going to have to. I was going to say whatever I can. This trips, summer, we're going to roast weenies over the <gasps> fire. You're right, and then we can make one of these summer goals, man. Hashtag summer goals. Oh my gosh! So there it is. I only have one story left for chemistry. Do we have time? Do you have anything else? So there's another thing about UHF I want to mention, which is the Beverly Hillbillies song where there's a music video. Okay, I'm glad you brought this up. Yes, please. So this is based off Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. This is one of the like earliest videos on MTV. Which is why I wanted you to bring it up because like this is a topic I mentioned on Sledgehammer. If I do another yeah. music video, it's going to be Money for Nothing because it's like one of the earliest CG graphics music videos. And the crazy thing is he wanted to do this parody and the stipulation is the lead, I can't remember the lead singer's name. He wanted to play the guitar in it. And, and weird. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, sure. I guess we'll have Fine. you on to play guitar for our parody of your song. And I will say that in addition to this movie, he does release his last album in the eighties, the UHF original motion picture soundtrack and other stuff in 1989. So this is his closeout album. Again, it's based off a movie that doesn't do great, but there's a couple interesting parodies. One is Isle Thing, which is about Gilligan's Island. And it's Tone Loke's <laughs> Wild Thing. thing. Isle Thing. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And then he does an REM stand parody, Spam. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, he's got to bring that food back, man. Every album's got to have a food thing. So there's that. I wanted to mention those aspects of the movie. I just want to say I love the opening, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, yeah, that's a great riff. It's so good. Uh, I will say this. The movie is better than I expected it to be. Yeah. I was actually kind of impressed. It's shot pretty darn well. Sure. And, you know, it's... It is what it is. It's not like an amazing movie, but I was actually like, I was expecting to just cringe the whole way through. And it's got some like eh, parts of it that are, they're not terrible. It's not like they don't hold up. They're just kind of lame, I guess you could say. (laughs) Right. But like overall, like you said, the Spatula City, Spatula City. Oh my God. uh, The Wheel of Fish. I As a kid, I always loved the line, stupid, you're so stupid. My friends and I used to say that to each other. We used to too. And then my favorite skit was Conan the Librarian, <laughs> where he's like, don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? And then I think a kid brings a book back late, and he like swings his broad axe and right. like cuts the kid in half. It's so silly. Conan the Librarian. I think you put it right. It's like people who love movies, you're either like, there's too much extremes. You either love the movie, and it's holy, and it's untouchable, or it's like a total burning piece of garbage. And this is like... I like think the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Like the Garbage Pail... Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, or what, was, what did you fall on the sword for? A Christmas Story 2? Oh, uh, Never Ending Story 2. Never Ending Story 2. And oh Christmas God. Story 2. Actually, both of those. Yeah, we've fallen on some swords here. But this was actually... I was pleasantly surprised. It's fun. It's like fun for what it is. This is what I will say. The thesis of the movie is no one around here appreciates a good imagination. And I'll just say, there's a lot of imagination in this Heck movie. yeah, there is. For sure. Absolutely. 
you know, it took a long while. Obviously not a commercial success, but it's kind of a cult classic now. So the appreciation did come around. Just like Coolio. The appreciation <laughs> finally came around. Came around. Come on. Took a little while, a couple decades for the show to catch on, for Coolio to cool off. And now <laughs> we're kind of near the end of chemistry, but you had something else you wanted to talk about. Well, yeah, I just have one little more personal story that kind of connects to Weird Al. And it's so rare that I would have any sort of circumstance to tell the story. Oh, but go for it. there is an accordion in our family. Okay. So a century ago, shh, the mist fades in, we fade to black. Is it autographed by either Yankovic, be Frankie amazing. or Al? Maybe amazing. <laughs> or both. Um, if there was a signature on it, it is now crumbling off. Um, <laughs> my family were all farmers. And during the Great Depression, we know from history that if you were farming, as, as long as you weren't in the Dust Bowl, you fared better than a lot of other people because you could just farm and sustain your family on your property. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was another family that was immigrating westward trying to find work. And my family offered them room and board for a little while in turn for some work on the farm. And as a gift when they left, that family gave my family an accordion that has been in my family for a century. Uh, I only discovered it about 20 years ago in an attic, working to clean an attic out. And I, I don't, it's not in my personal house. It's in a family's house. Somewhere, but I remember it's this, what's left of it is this kind of baby blue color to the outside of the accordion. I've heard no one ever in my family took the time to learn how to play it, which is really sad. Are you in the line of succession? But I, I am in the line of succession to oh. eventually inherit that accordion. Or, it, or do you have to like battle your brother for dominance? Right. It'll be a parody showdown and he's really good at writing parodies. So we'll, Maybe it'll I'll be see an epic rap battle between the epic both of you. Rap battles <laughs> of brotherhood! Um, but uh, anyway, there is an accordion in the family. That's, that's the closest I've physically gotten to weird out well that's awesome okay so we we have that epic rap battle to look forward to ben and the bro it's gonna be great right well ben i think the lunch bell is about to ring and i'm craving some lasagna oh that was good and i think you had your eye on that twinkie wiener sandwich i'm gonna get a twinkie wiener sandwich i'm gonna have spuds as my main course and for sure there's gonna be rocky road for dessert some spam maybe some spam absolutely let's head to the cafeteria and eat it And then we'll meet back in contemporary culture for more mandatory fun. Buddy, where's the spatula? Okay, kids, let's go. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a spatula? Spatula City! Spatula City! Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of Spatula City. I like their spatulas so much, I bought the company. Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under spatulas. My, where did you get that lovely spatula? Spatula City, we sell spatulas. 
it was just a very unsuccessful time for me in the cafeteria. I kept trying to chat up all these cute ladies, but you know what I learned? What'd you learn? Girls just want to have lunch. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't get a word in. You should have played your accordion, Babe Magnet. Babe If you played that baby blue accordion, the ladies doth cometh, man. Duh, they, duh. They, <laughs> they flock to As your I manliness. my fedora. Oh my God. <sighs> Well, we're in contemporary culture, and I left you all on the hugest of huge cliffhangers. Weird Al's career was in peril. It was in jeopardy. (laughs) It was in jeopardy. (laughs) So, where did we leave off? Al had that huge movie flop of UHF. And as I mentioned, he went into a three-year creative slump. Finally... He finds some inspiration. Michael Jackson's putting out yet another album. Thank you, Michael. And he's like, there's a song, Black or White, and I can call this Snack All Night. He's thrilled. He goes to his rock, Michael Jackson. Jackson's like, this message is too important. Yeah, right. I'm going to have to turn you down. Right. And so he had this shining beacon of hope, and it's dashed again. His comeback is not there. Because he had material for an album. He didn't have that one hit to hold it onto. Yeah. And so he's crushed again. But don't worry, folks, because here in our very Seattle, there's a little movement going on in the early 90s called grunge. Headed up by none other than, as we mentioned earlier, Nirvana. (laughs) Smells Like Teen Spirit comes out, and Al is like, this is not gold. This is platinum. Yes. Then as we mentioned... He gets the blessing of Kurt Cobain and the band to do this parody that she calls Smells Like Nirvana. (laughs) Now I'm mumbling and I'm screaming and I don't know what I'm singing. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's And what's so funny is I think they even got some of the background actors from the original song into Al's parody version. That's I think awesome. it's some of the That's same really people. Cool. It's wild. So this is, of course, the huge hit off of his album, Off the Deep End, 1992, relaunches Al's career yet again. He's back in business. And strikes again in 1993 with Alapalooza, as we mentioned. This is where you get Jurassic Park, the bedrock anthem, Flea is not a fan. You Flea's also get Achy Breaky Song, which is, of course, oh, yeah. Billy Ray Cyrus's Achy Breaky Heart. I forgot Heart. about that one. Yeah, yeah, good. 96, you get Bad Hair Day. This is where we get Amish Paradise and mm. Gump, as we mentioned earlier. Then 1999 comes around, we get Running with Scissors, which is a great shot of him on this like track running. He's got these giant scissors in his hand and this like crazed eyed look at his face. But in addition to this coming out, we see a very different Al. Yeah. Like his appearance changes dramatically. First off, he loses the glasses, got LASIK surgery. Crazy. He shaves the mustache and he's got the long hair now, which he's basically to this day still has the long hair. But if you see the old ones, it's more like that tight crop kind of bushy and now long curly locks. This has, as Ben mentioned, Saga Begins, the American Pie parody. We also have Pretty Fly for a Rabbi, which is (laughs) Pretty Fly for a Right Guy. Oh my God. And then the Puff Daddy, it's all about the Pentiums uh, oh, <laughs> instead yeah, of it's all about the right. Benjamins. That was a funny one, too. That was good. Yeah. Uh, 2003, we get Poodle Hat. This has not a lot of big ones. There's Trash Day, which is based off of Nelly's Hot in Here. <laughs> this is Couch Potato, which is based off of Lose Yourself. 
Did he get permission finally? Let me go double check that. Hold on, because I thought... Yeah. Was it permission or you just didn't like it? Oh, he could do the song, but he couldn't do a video. Okay, so thank you for that clarification. Couch Potato was the Lose Yourself Eminem parody. So again, Eminem, I guess we, we should give him the credit. He did allow him to do the song, but no music video. Next, we get Straight out of Linwood from 2006. This is where you get white and nerdy. Which is his hometown. Yep. Linwood is where he grew up in California. And did you uh, watch this video, White and Nerdy? No. Is it awesome? It's hilarious. Key and Peeler in it. It's what? awesome. It's so good. I love all the cameos that show up in his songs. Um, it's awesome. He also has Canadian Idiot, which is off of Green Day's American oh, Idiot. Oh, sort of like American Idiot. Good. I like that. Yep. This was his first album to be certified platinum. Really? So kind of a big standout. This was okay. a yeah, this is a big one. After this though, he does a few iTunes digital releases. Again, we're getting to the point where YouTube and social media and the internet are really taking off uh, as this area of commerce and music and he's kind of seen the trend and is like, I'm going to just release some songs straight to digital release on iTunes. He does this in 2008, which later become an LP called Internet Leaks. Notably, this has a cover of a T.I. song, Whatever You Like, called Whatever You Like. <laughs> ah, it's easy to keep track of it then. And he said these digital releases, to your earlier point, Ben, allow him to be more timely with some of these parodies, especially as music is, there's mm-hmm. so much more now and it's moving so much more quickly. He's like, to really keep up, I can't be doing these year or two between releases of albums. Like, things are just moving way too fast. And then in 2011, we get Alpocalypse. Alpocalypse. You mentioned Lady Gaga earlier. Her born this way. He has performed this way. And then he has Miley Cyrus's Party in the USA, Party in the CIA, which is a very fun animated video. Good, good, good. So he's kind of cruising along. He's got a few hits. It's not as big as in the 80s. But folks, I don't know if you've remembered a little year called 2014. Oh, my God. When Al came back in the biggest way possible. It was so wonderful. What an amazing time with Mandatory Fun in 2014. This has Pharrell's Happy, Tacky, right, Lord's right. Royals with Foil, Iggy Azalea's Fancy with Handy. I'm so handy. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> and Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines. He has Word Crimes amongst many others. This was a huge album. And Word Crimes is genius because it is basically your K through 12 education on grammar. <laughs> It is so impressive. But delivered so much better delivered than we ever got so in English much, class. It is a genius piece of writing. It's so good. It is so good. These are great. And he releases eight music videos, like one a day. Yeah, right. Leading up to the release of this and puts them out. The cool thing was, so his record label is basically like, we're not going to fund any music videos. Yeah. And Al's like, I have to kind of stay ahead because there's all these digital content creators out there now on YouTube and all these other platforms. Like, they're kind of doing what I'm doing. Like, I need to find a way to really get to people. And so he does this really cool thing where he teams up with these different social media portals, Funny or Die, College Humor, yeah. these outlets he's worked with before in the past and had good relationships. And they cover the production costs of all of these music videos in exchange for Al Forgo's ad revenue. So basically, they're going to front him the money, but they get the back end. And he's working with these small outlets, but he works with enough of them that it kind of spreads the risk and spreads the cost. Yeah. And it ends up paying off. Plus, it gets his content on all these different channels. So it's great, like, cross-platform promotion. And I think 
we all remember that week and month that his stuff came out. It was like the talk of everyone's work, oh my God, of everyone's yeah. friend group. Did you see it that was new amazing. video by Weird Al Yankovic? That was the thing that week. The tacky one is so great because it's this whole single shot of Al and all of these different. Yes, I love that like, music video. Jack Black is in it, Margaret Cho. It's just like all of these celebrities and musicians. It's super cool. You're making me want to watch it again, like right now. I won't because I have to record a podcast for our class, but I want to do it right it's now. It's so good. But this album released to huge critical praise, and it debuted at the top of the Billboard charts. I think this is his first album to debut at the freaking top. Super cool. And interestingly, this is also his, the final album of his recording contract. Oh. And my understanding is he did not start a new one. He plans to release digitally from here on out. Wow. For the reasons we mentioned earlier. Yeah. One man army. Look at you go, Al. Get it, buddy. Okay, so we blasted through that. I didn't want to go too in-depth on those albums. Again, we could do an episode about each album, uh, of course. Also, in 2018, he releases a song, The Hamilton Polka, which is the one of those polka melodies from the musical Hamilton. Oh, yeah. And this song, this is a great, it holds the distinction of being the first polka song to chart on Billboard's digital songs sales chart. <laughs> well, and I'm jumping a little ahead to math class a little bit, but yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda credits Weird Al Yankovic as a major influence for writing Hamilton. He has the most hilarious interview, I believe it's with Conan, where he talks about how when he met Weird Al, he basically fangirled out and made a <laughs> fool of himself because you're absolutely right. He's like, Al was such a huge inspiration for me. Like, it's just so interesting. You think of these people who are masters in, of their craft. Like, surely Lin-Manuel Miranda has no peer, no equal, no one to look up to. Right, this man is right, a genius. Right. And yet he can still fangirl out like the rest of us. We're like, oh my God. It's kind of like when you met Dan Aykroyd and you were like, ah, tongue-tied. Just You're lost like, it. Uh, what do I say? So there's a ton of stuff he's done. Again, we're going to have to jump over a lot of rabbit holes, but he's done voiceover work. He's been on countless Shows and sketches for The Nerdist, College Humor, Epic Rock Battles, as we mentioned, Fun Your Die. He's directed his own music videos as well as for other artists, Hanson and Ben Folds, for instance. Oh, yeah. He was a guest editor for Mad Magazine, and he's written two children's books, When I Grow Up and My New Teacher and Me. Not to mention, gosh, we also skipped over in 1997, he had the Weird Al show. That was... Oh, yeah, right. And he had... <laughs> that was really bizarre. And the Weird Al show. Yeah, that was a whole nother... <laughs> We're going to have to do a separate podcast on that one. That would be a separate one. It was. It didn't last very long. I think it was like 12 episodes, I want to say. Oh, yeah. But it was almost like Pee-wee's Playhouse meets I don't know what. Yeah, it was very – it was odd. It was I, – I scrubbed it a little bit and it was – I can't say it's super noteworthy. Ah, the old scrubby move. That. The old scrubby scrubby move. Very scrubby. I have some other things. He's appeared in TV, movies, animated stuff. Do you have any notable standouts in your mind where Weird Al makes a cameo or does voice work? Yeah, as far as the appearances, like, uh, so he's in Bill and Ted Face the Music from summer 2020, which was kind of cool. He's a reoccurring cameo on Reno 911 as Ted Nugent, the Nuge. Oh, <laughs> I didn't see that. That's which hilarious. is amazing. He does a ton of voice work. He's on American Dad, the Eric Andre show. He's like a very intense podcaster. He goes on a lot of podcasts. Hmm? He was on Conan O'Brien's podcast. I will say uh, I tried to get him on our podcast, oh, but there's um, there's a bit of a maniac mansion problem with it. 
Okay. You need a secret password to get him. Interesting. So I called his agency, which is the William Morris Endeavor, because they don't- And you screamed, Twinkie Wiener Sandwich! Twinkie Wiener Sandwich! Is that it? Because <laughs> um, there's no email. You can't email. Uh, there's not really like an easy way to DM on social media, but they're like, here's the phone number for the agency. So I called and there's hold music. I was really wishing it was going to be like from his music, but they represent a bunch of people. Or like Muzak of his music. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I got somebody and they were like, uh, hi, who are you trying to reach? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm looking to reach a Weird Al Yankovic's uh, agent. He goes, great. Uh, can you give me the name of the agent? And I said, um, well, just whoever represents Weird Al. He goes, I'm sorry, we can't do that. You have to establish the relationship first. And then we can connect you. And then the guy hung up on me. So basically getting to him is like getting into a speakeasy in the 30s. Right. You have to have the password you to get there. You need a password. Ah, oh, man. But th- those were some of my uh, favorite cameo roundups. So he's in all the Naked Gun movies. He makes a cameo in all of those. So good. He's done a lot of voice work on The Simpsons. He's been in several episodes. Ben, I'm going to blow your mind. Remember that Where's Waldo reboot we mentioned yeah, very recently? Right. He voices Wizard Artbeard. No. He's in the Where's Waldo. Oh, that's perfect. Reboot. Cartoon. That's crazy. perfect. And there's just a few because I love these shows and I remember the references when we were talking about this. So first is How I Met Your Mother and the episode Noretta. Ted suggests that he gave Al the idea for the song Like a Surgeon. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's kind of fun. And so this is the callback I, would, I mentioned I wanted to come back to. And like the very end of the episode, you see Al and he's going through his fan mail and he's reading it. And he's kind of being like real dismissive of it all. And he's like, oh, I really like your stuff. You should do a cover called Like a Surgeon. And he's like, wait a minute. Wait and then he starts singing the. Oh, that's awesome. I never made it through med school. The one, the one suggestion he took in his career. And he's like looking off into the distance. It's so funny. And then in 30 Rock, the episode Kidnapped by Danger, Jenna, she has a song that Weird Al parodies and she gets really mad. So she tries to create a song that is like Weird Al proof that he can't parody. Oh. And so she's working with Tracy Jordan and they're like going through all these iterations and they come up with a song called Fart So Loud. It's very silly. Anyway, (laughs) they're like, this is so silly. Weird Al can't make fun of it. And Weird Al comes out with a normal parody of it called Heart So Proud. Oh. And so they're like, he normal Al does, which I thought was really funny. Normal anyway. Al does? That's good. <laughs> so Al's in that. So those are a couple like notable ones. And then just this week, Ben, a little weird Al name drop happens and a little show called Stranger Things. Oh. And if you're a fan, people have been waiting on pins and needles for season four to come out. And apparently, this is no spoilers, but apparently in an early episode, someone makes reference to a season three episode where the Dustin character is wearing a Weird Al shirt. Oh, nice. And I think it's from the 1984 album Weird Al in 3D. And someone makes a reference to that shirt in Man, it. So there's just like Weird a Al very everywhere. little Weird Al reference. But I was like, leave it to Stranger Things to bring out the nostalgia stream. Of course, they've got and it. And hit it, hit the nail on the head. So good. They've got it. A couple more things with contemporary culture that I want to mention that I think are important. Very relevant to our Pat Benatar conversations. There have been many letter writing campaigns to try and get Weird Al in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since he first was eligible in 2004, Mm. but still unsuccessful. That's our next year campaign. Exactly. That's our 2023. Exactly. That's the next (laughs) one. But he did get some recognition four years ago on August 27th, 2018, when he got the 2,643rd star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
Finally got it. Which was also a fan-driven campaign. Right. Uh, so if you're listening to us from the LA area, that's at 6914 Hollywood Boulevard, if you want to go uh, find that star. But he finally got the recognition deserved there. Super awesome. Other Alkalades? Alkalades? Uh, Alkalades. So February 2019 wins his fifth Grammy. Five Grammys. It's pretty impressive. Like the guy... He's had 11 other Grammy nominations. So 11 nominations, Great. five Grammys. He's had four gold records, six platinum records. He's got the trophies and the medals saying he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for sure. Absolutely. Come on. The other thing I want to mention is creative influence. Oh, so yeah. there are some artists. You mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda. Huge credit to Yankovic. Also, Mike Schur, who's a TV producer, he's worked on The Good Place, on The Office, like tons of shows. I think he was also where he worked on um, Parks and Rec. Anyway, he says Yankovic's music represented a what he calls a deep egalitarian spirit of our culture. And he said it allowed his comedy writers to reflect on society within the shows he worked on. So basically, Al's in the zeitgeist and he could tap into it. And that was an inspiration for how they did that on all these shows that uh, he was a part of, which I thought was cool. And also Andy Samberg of the group The Lonely Island. <laughs> I love The Lonely Island shout out. Yankovic is a huge, he's friends with those guys. He's a huge fan of them. But they said that basically that was a huge inspiration for forming Lonely Island, which I thought was super cool. Yeah. And they've done some great um, music videos through SNL. I mean, I'm on a boat is is very right, right over home plate of like kind of that Weird Al style. Oh, it's so good. What was the... I don't think we can say in a box. We can't say the one. Yeah, there's one we can't say on this podcast. A special present in a box for you. Oh, I was also thinking something in my pants. Okay, we're just going (laughs) to move on from this topic. They're hilarious. We've chosen to be a non-explicit podcast. We're just going to move right on. Got to move on. So speaking of creativity, we talked about these amazing concerts that he does, which he doesn't really call music concerts. He calls them a hem. Let me get this right. Oh boy, here we go multimedia rock and comedy video extravaganzas. Well, that's accurate. I mean, you've been to a concert. Tell us about your experience. Yeah, I mean, it seems odd. So like six years ago, Weird Al was performing at the Woodland Park Zoo. This is so this is two years after Mandatory Fun comes out. So that had been all the talk of town. I'm like, oh my God, Weird Al is coming to Seattle. Around the same time, the Gorillas were going to launch a tour, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. Also at a zoo? Also the zoo. Yeah, fully primates. Thematically would have worked. Gorillas at the zoo. Anyway, go on. But a ticket to the gorillas was $500. A little spendy. And a ticket to Weird Al was 26 bucks a person. Look at this guy. So we went to Weird Al. <laughs> music the, for the masses. For the, what a guy. Well, that's the thing. It was this great outdoor concert. So this big field, everyone's got their picnic blankets. And I had never seen Weird Al live. And it was amazing. And I would say multimedia extravaganza is 100% on. Because... When he does a piece, he comes out in the costume from that music video. I mean, to the nines, his band, for some of them, he's got props. Like, um, when he does the saga begins, there's like 10 stormtroopers that come out on stage for it. So about these stormtroopers, there is a group called the 501st Legion. Oh my God. And this is a costuming organization. And their goal is to spread the magic of Star Wars genre worldwide through authentic looking costumes. And they become a leading force in fan-based charity events. I bring this up because Weird Al will often reach out to the local chapter of the 501st Legion and ask if they want to participate on stage with him when he does so these Star Wars songs. So that's where they songs, came from. Oh, that's cool. Which is super cool. So my guess, 
is that he reached out to them for our local chapter and assuming they were willing, that's who you saw on stage, which I thought was super cool. Oh, that is very cool. I really respect that. And I love their charity tagline. It's bad guys doing good. It's so it's hilarious. <laughs> that's very smart. I love it. I love so it. Anyway, I, I wanted to throw that in there somewhere because I thought it was super you cool. You know, the numbers themselves are great. And then when he's going to do a costume change, you know, he runs back behind stage. It's like five to ten minutes of like sketch comedy is the best way I can do it. It's like little yeah. video vignettes of his sort of humor that keep you entertained and he comes back out and oh my god now he's in the fat suit he's gonna do eat it and he was you know he was just a jedi it's a great show when this episode comes out i'll put a couple clips from that concert up on instagram if you want to see what his live shows are like have you have you gone do you want to go what's going on i haven't i would be very interested especially now i know the ticket price is not five hundred dollars but a very reasonable 30 bucks yeah i think it would be great to see him like if he's in town somewhere it just sounds like Everyone says what an amazing show it is. I don't, I've never heard anyone say like, eh, take it or leave it. Everyone's impressed. So I just have two more things I want to mention for contemporary culture. This is funny. I won't talk about it too much, but did you see this researcher at Georgia Tech? No, what did they do? So in 2020, Mark Riedel, sorry if I've got your last name wrong, created an algorithm that generates lyrics. An algorithm? You're going to get this. You're absolutely right. To match the rhyme and syllable schemes of pre-existing songs, which he called Weird AI Yankovic. Oh, that's fun. So definitely an algorithm. It's basically a song generator, a lyric generator that he created, and he's kind of crediting Weird Al in a very interesting way. There's an, a fascinating article on Vice.com that I will post here, which is basically about the recording industry going after the parody songs written by this algorithm. This is a fascinating intersection of machine learning and what constitutes uh. fair use. You'll just have to read the article if you're curious about it. But I just I thought that was really hilarious. Another longstanding tribute to the man. That's awesome. Look at that. And we're going to close contemporary culture in the future, Ben. Do you know what I'm talking about? We've got to go back to the future, buddy. Uh, I think I do. I hope I do. I'm talking about Weird, the Al Yankovic story. This is a movie, an air quotes biopic about Weird Al Yankovic starring who, Ben? Well, kind of like, like it's, uh, I'm so excited by the choice, but can I ask like who would, who would you have picked if you knew they were going to do a Weird Al biopic? I feel like you would go for a quirky, nerdy kind of a person. My God, who would you choose? Would you choose? I mean, high energy, beanpole. Would you choose the Napoleon Dynamite guy? Maybe he's too old. Would you choose? I could kind of see him. A little bit. You would. Are you thinking of somebody? No, but I'm just. I I feel like there's. I feel like there's somebody there and my mind's not making the leap to who that person would be. But they did choose a person because production's over, folks. And who'd they choose? Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe. Harry Polta himself. The boy who lived. You're going to be a polka star now, Harry. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. And Rain Wilson will be Dr. Demento. That's amazing. This is great. The movie is billed as an untold true story of Yankovic, documenting Weird Al's rise to fame with early hits like Eat It and Like a Surgeon as well as his torrid celebrity love affairs and famously depraved lifestyle. 
obviously, as we've talked about, this guy has like not a blemish on his record. So really, this is more of like a mockumentary spoofing tropes that run rampant and self-important biopics, which is hilarious. Of course, his biopic is a parody. I can't wait to see it. Not me. I'm really excited about it. And I continue to love everything that Daniel Radcliffe has done since Harry Potter to like distance himself from what that was and reinvent himself. And I'm so excited of him in this role. I really want to see it. He likes to take big swings. And when I first saw this, I was like, this seems ridiculous. But then when I was in on the joke where I was like, oh, of course, it's not serious. It's his biopic in the most ridiculous, absurd, fake way possible. I'm on board. So it sounds amazing. I do want to just say there was a fake trailer of this movie on Funny or Die in 2010. Where they did a trailer for this biopic featuring Aaron Paul as Weird Al. Aaron Paul, of course, if you don't know, is from Breaking Bad. And Patton Oswalt as Dr. Demento. What? But basically, they took this idea of this fake trailer and made it into a real movie, which I think is freaking amazing. I'm going to put both of those in the show notes if you want to check them out. Please do. And it's set to release in fall 2022 on the one place where you get all of your entertainment, Roku Channel. (laughs) Who would have thought? Yet another ALF reference (laughs) in this episode Ben, I have one question for you. Has Alf and Al ever been on this stage together? Are we sure this is not the same person? He's weird. He could be an alien. I'm just saying, if we've never seen them together, is it possible? Because right now you can only find Alf on Roku channel. That's so you tell me. The, the, the red love, yarn is getting connected, I was connected, just going to say, the map behind you of the locations <laughs> of Alf and Weird Al over the last two decades is interesting. Um, yeah, Trey, I, you know, I never thought we'd have to go to Roku Channel to watch anything for this show, let alone twice for this show. Twice. I guess I'm glad I have an account now, question mark? Oh, man. Oh, I can see God. it now. Alf, why did you try to play lucky like an accordion? <laughs> oh, my God. I wanted to hear him bellow, Willie. Ha! I killed him. I just wanted to eat it. Oh, this guy. It? I wanted to hear him bellow. No, I heard it. No, I got it. Because the, the bellows, the bellows of an accordion. With the air. Yeah, no, that it's was good. of the bellows no, I'm and there people with bellowing you. kind of yell. Yeah, no, I'm not. It's a joke. I got it. It was great. <laughs> but you just didn't laugh at it. You monster. Well, I can acknowledge without trying to judge the quality of it. I was pleased with um, all of my <laughs> silly wordplay. It was very Al-inspired well, it was in this really episode. Good. I thought it was good. My goodness. So stay tuned, everybody. We're probably going to have to talk about it in season three yeah. after it comes out. Oh, we will. We're going to have to revisit. This has been so much to pack in. We're in the home stretch. And Ben, I have to say, I think we've committed enough word crimes in this episode. So it's time to switch gears to numbers, you know, the letters of math, to see how Weird Al and his catalog of creations hold up today. The letters of math. I will happily join you there. But first, I do need to make a quick errand on the way. Um, Mm. I melted my spatula. I gotta gotta run to Spatula City real fast. But then I'll be there. I was gonna say, where do you you go if your spatula's melted? (laughs) Spatula City! Spatula City! Spatula City! Oh my god. We've made it to math class after this epic episode and a full season two of 80s High. Yeah. What is your assessment of Mr. Weird Al and his oeuvre Oeuvre. of music and movies and videos and all the things? What say you, sir? Well, if it's all right, if I'm not, because you mentioned this person, if it's not breaking bad... 
We did something new for our 40th episode where we actually asked the class of 80s high to contribute to math class. Yeah. What do you think is the lasting impact that Weird Al Yankovic has had on pop culture? Uh, one classmate noted uh, keeping quality, parody, and satire alive. True. Mm-hmm. Another mentioned the songs are still relevant and funny today. Eat It is iconic and Amish Paradise may actually be more famous than the original Gangsta's Paradise. Mm. Concur. We just got Coolio cooled off. Don't tell him. We're going <laughs> to keep tell, that to ourselves. Don't tell Coolio. <laughs> Another classmate said, I think he raised, nay, maybe even established Ooh. the bar for musical parody. He managed to be consistently funny while rarely, if ever, being mean. That puts him in a small group of comedians who matter without being aggressive or offensive. He doesn't typically do incisive social commentary, but it's a style of comedy that's impressive and valuable as it provides us with such good laughs. Concur. Absolutely. Uh, This classmate says, I would encourage you to search YouTube for Weird Al Mark Mothersbaugh and see the Devo Mm. frontman's take on Dare to be Stupid for a top-down look at how he influenced pop culture. But from my perspective, it's like I mentioned before, the guy is one of very few people who operate within the mainstream from well outside it. And I think he's an important Mm. object lesson for people who struggle to fit in rather than make their own way. Mm. He also exposed me to a lot of music I probably wouldn't have sought out, like this Jurassic Park song being a cover of MacArthur Park, but also just polka Mm. in general. Like, I had a friend who bought an accordion in high school, and I know that would not have happened if Weird Al didn't exist. Mm. As an aside, the accordion uh, is actually a neat little pop music making machine. It's really cool, and I certainly wouldn't know that if uh, my buddy hadn't bought it. What I just heard, Ben, is you need to crawl up into that family member's attic. Right! Resurrect that poor little thing and put it to some good use. I need to learn accordion restoration. Here I go. This will be my winter hobby this time. So pretty resounding positive from the class of 80s high. But we know Ben, the killer of all killjoys. No! How much do you hate Weird Al? Oh my God. How incisive are you going to be, you monster? No, what, what were your thoughts? What did you think? You know, this has sort of been the drum I keep beating in season two, and it's just where we ended up in season two. I don't think we intended it, but it just happened. So you know what I'm going to say. He's punk rock. (laughs) Is punk rock. You know, he's counterculture. Again, like, here's what everybody's into. This is the Kool-Aid everyone's drinking. And he's like, you know what? I'm not even going to make Kool-Aid. I'm going to do something you've never heard before, you've never seen before. And I'm going to comment why this stuff that everyone's into is kind of silly. But again, he does it in this masterful way of like not putting anyone down and not hating on the art, you know, recognizing the musical and the poetic genius of the artist, but just using that platform to make another commentary even deeper about society in a broader sense, which is freaking awesome. You know, I would say more so than a lot of other topics we've covered at 80s High, this is like a once in several generations creative genius. Like you don't get a weird owl every 20 or 30 years it is so special what he has invented and who he is. Like, again, this squeaky clean person, he's incredibly special. And in the realm of comedy, honestly, and this is this is saying a lot, he's on a level of SNL, as in fame, but he's a one-man army doing it. He's writing mm-hmm. his own songs. But, you know, SNL does so many, you know, joke commercials. You know, they parody, you know, David S. Pumpkins is a mocking of haunted houses. You know, they mock a right. lot of societal behavior. Right, right. And he does all that with a huge breadth of work that is amazing. I think he's literally, and I don't throw this word around a lot, and I also don't throw literally around 
a lot. Got to be careful with that. He really is a genius, and his ability to adapt and grow as content distribution changes and how songwriting changes and how music video styles evolve, that's what kept, has kept him alive. And what made the show so hard to research is he's still doing great because he is so nimble. I will say the only things I heard, there are a couple minor Asian racist lines in a couple of songs. Uh, you know, I've and, and fat, you've got, I've got more chins than Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Don't you know there are starving children in Japan? But those are the only two of everything I listened to. And even starving children in Japan isn't that bad, but there's starving children everywhere. Like, it's kind of odd to like call out a country. I think because it rhymed. And just for the rhyme. Totally. I, honestly, I think that was for the rhyme, but totally. point taken. I think you're right. But again, if the, those are the only two things I could find in a massive breadth of work and a long-lived, yeah. very public life, I think one of the cleanest things we've ever come to. And like our listeners said, and like you said, you know, he gives kids who don't quite fit in the ability to be seen and be heard and get the confidence to know that they can... Not march to the own beat of their drum, but march to the own beat of someone drumming on an accordion case. (laughs) And I think that's a beautiful thing that too few creators in pop culture give to youth. And I think that's what makes Weird Al a legend and amazing and why he's on tour right now and why it's so hard to get a ticket to one of his shows. Um, Because he's everlasting. He is a gift Thank you for being in culture, Weird Al, and thank you for making the art that you have. You rock. Uh, Now, what about you? Let's strap in for the evisceration of Weird Alfred Yankovic. What have you got for him? This no good hack. (laughs) This loser. (laughs) No. I have to say, I think what we're all saying here is that Al pulled off the impossible, which is how to have a four-decade career as a novelty musician whose fame is based on parodies in pop culture and a fast-paced, ever-changing world, now colliding with digital content and social media, YouTube mm-hmm. stars, vainglorious viners, rest in peace, the Insta-famous, <sighs> the tip-top of TikTok, and Ooh. so on. Oh, well done. He's entertained generations of fans across genres of music, finding ways to appeal universally and specifically, and rocking out that accordion like it's no one's business. And he did it all, as we've said, by being the nicest, humblest guy, getting permission and giving credit. A star who is truly there to entertain, have fun, and invite everyone into the party. To be parodied by such a talented guy is truly an honor, as even Coolio can now attest. (laughs) I think it's no wonder he's beloved by the industry, fellow musicians, and fans alike. Kind of to your point, Ben, there are a few aspects of his works that are a little bit dated by modern standards. I I don't quite know where I fall on the fat jokes and fat. You know, we talked about that earlier. That could be sensitive for some people. There is a kind of a racial stereotype in UHF as well. But again, to your point, they're minimal in number and I think minor in severity. And I really find that rather impressive given the volume of work he's created and the fact that he's a parody artist. Like That's really impressive, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes to what Al said. His goal is to poke ribs, not kick butts. But listen, <laughs> I'm afraid to say he's actually wrong. Al does kick butt. 
Big time. Name me another accordion <laughs> rapping polka rock icon. I dare you. I, t- <laughs> I double dog dare you, friends. So stay weird, Portland. But even more so, stay weird, Al. Because Ooh. at this school, you will forever be a class act. Well done. Well, this was a fantastic pick. I love that you picked Weird Al. I didn't see it coming. And again, such a unique, I feel like season two has been a lot of really unique treasures, a lot of really Mm. unique topics. And it was so cool to like pick this artist that is, again, such a weird contribution to pop culture, but who's still (laughs) rocking and rolling today. This was fun. This was a fun one to learn about. It was a great time. And, you know, normally at this point of the episode, Ben, we'd reveal our topic for the next episode. But school's out for summer. (laughs) It's out for summer. Listen, folks, this is how we can do the show and stay sane and stay, I think, excited, enthusiastic. We have to take summers off because, as we mentioned, we live in the Pacific Northwest and we don't get a lot of good weather out here. It is Mm -hmm. a narrow window and we can attest as specifically right now, dreary. So as soon as that weather turns, we want to be outside too amazing not to enjoy it but the good news is we already have ideas lined up for season three and we're looking to come back in september right ben absolutely i'm really excited about season three we are coming back it's junior year we're going to be juniors we hit our stride finally in sophomore year it means we're going to be working hard we've got ap classes we're going to be trying to do college applications so it's going to be it's going to be a big year but i'm excited because um you know we're talking about trying some new stuff we always try and incrementally improve the show and make this even more fun and engaging and educational but we've already got a special guest lined up yeah for the first who's a kind of a notable person which is kind of cool we're experimenting with some other formats of the show. Uh, so we're just excited of what we're coming at you with season three when we get back on the horse in fall. We cannot wait. I would say until then, make sure if you aren't already, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You might get some intermittent 80s nostalgia bumps every now and then. I will say they're mostly on Insta. We are not really Twitterati, but we try. We do try. Uh, but, but Insta is where it's at, thanks to Ben. I would also just say, like, consider rating us on Apple or Spotify. Show us some love. And if you can leave a review on Apple, we'd be forever grateful. We really enjoy producing this show free of charge for your listening ears because you all are the best. So thank you for that. Ben, is there anything else yeah, you know, I just want to leave you. It's it's a crazy wild world out there. You got a big summer coming up. You've got big plans. We're going to miss you. We're with you every couple of weeks here at 80s High. And so until we see you again this fall, I want to leave you with 1989's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and just advise you, be excellent to each other. And party on, dude. You forgot the best part. <laughs> I was trying, I was leaving it for you. You got it. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. Have a great summer. Stay sweet. Never change. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical.